general nerdery. So 100 episodes in. I considered looking back to our first episode, listening to it, seeing how we've grown, seeing how we've become better or worse people, yada, yada, yada. Definitely better podcasters. Uh, and Maybe the, worse people? Probably worse people. Um, and then I just looked at the regular amount of anxiety I get just from looking at Facebook memories and decided I didn't want to listen to myself do that for an hour and a half. No, I guess that's fair. <laughs> it's the danger of looking at old work, particularly one where you've never done it before. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And as, well, it's our 100th episode, so yay! Huzzah. We talked about trying to do something special for this, but this is a hard show to do something special for. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, like, this is the wrong time of year for me to try to think of something special. Also seasonal depression and just work burnout. <laughs> yeah, we are. This is coming out. What you said right around Christmas. By the time it comes out, probably like a week before. Something okay. Like that. So yeah. Uh, and we're recording in about maybe two weeks, week and a half after Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. uh, for those of us that work in grocery stores, this is what we call the tired season. Yeah. So many people <laughs> eating so much food. <laughs> so many out of stocks that they do not believe that we don't have in the back oh i'm so good at just walking to the back and timing a correct amount of time to walk back out (laughs) have them believe me so how was your weekend okay it's been two minutes gotta go yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh anyways uh what have we been ingesting what have we been ingesting? honestly like quite a bit still oh my god i have a lot this week Firstly, like you said, like we, this is like a couple weeks after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving hadn't hit the last time we recorded. I think we recorded like two days, three days before it. I don't remember, but close enough. Yeah. Something like that. Um, we meet every week, but not for the same podcast. So I get confused. And sometimes it's multiple times a week <laughs> because of the other podcast. The other podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I don't remember when is when now. All I know is that since last time Thanksgiving happened, but Thanksgiving happened right off the back of me coming off of uh, Reservation Dog Season Mm 2 and being mostly indigenous myself, so I was really feeling that this Thanksgiving. Didn't it just win a big award? Oh, I think so. I I I mean, it better of. Something, I don't think it was an actual award. I think I was reading something that, like, some magazine or website or something declared it like the show of the year oh yeah well, which isn't a real th- but still great yeah it deserves it it's yay for me remembering half remembered facebook posts right <laughs> i'm not sure if it's my number one show of the year but it's way up there mm-hmm. i'd have to think about it more anyway that's our flag not means death might be my show of the year but so i was sitting there and the illuminative account had made a playlist of a bunch of uh, indigenous artists to listen to on your Thanksgiving weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to listen through to this because like I'm feeling it right now. And I ended up cracking out on this song. Uh, The artist's name is Frank Walne. Uh, He's Sengaku Lakota. And the song is What Made the Red Man Red? Like, you know the song. Yeah, like... (sighs) And the so song it, that I've never forgiven Disney because it's the catchiest fucking song oh, in that so movie. It's so fucking catchy. It's so fucking catchy. I'm not 
Understand, I am aware of how fucking racist that song is. I am not defending that song. I am saying that when it plays, it's a bop and it will be stuck in your head for days. Well, here's a version to listen to. <laughs> Thank now, I'm still going to throw out there that listening to this in public, if Don't. the people aren't paying attention to the verses, it's going to sound real bad. Yeah. It's what makes the red man red. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. And the chorus is just like a remixed version of that same chorus. Yeah, 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 yeah. The difference is this song is like, that chorus is asking a question, right? Mm -hmm. So the verses in this song answer that question. What made the red man red? Fucking racism and genocide. <laughs> I assumed that was somewhere along the lines, yes. I, I've probably listened to that song like three times a day since Thanksgiving, at least. I've cracked out hard on it. I fucking dig it. I dig a lot of his other stuff, too. Uh, White War is really good. Aboriginal is really good. But it's it's also very activisty, and I can't listen to it all the all the time because it gets sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Oh, man, Spotify did its wrapped, so, like, here's what you've been listening to. And one, I found out I spend too much time on Spotify, mm -hmm. mostly because I listen to it when I go to bed. I'll put on, like, a podcast, and I'm like, you've listened to this one podcast a lot. Like, a lot. It was basically going, are you okay? See, <laughs> it's funny. My Spotify listening this year actually went down because I've been listening to more audiobooks on mm, Audible. Right, right. I've almost stopped. I haven't stopped using Audible, but the amount, like, it's... A hundred percent swapped. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I have now watched all the way through Andor twice. I'm getting caught up on it. I He just got arrested. Okay. Ryan. Yeah. Okay. It's so good. I'm just, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> well, like I finished it. And then when I got to the end of the show, I'm like, oh, this is something from Star Wars that my girlfriend will actually like. Mm. So I was like, hey. Come try this. Those first three episodes, I understand why they are what they are. They're kind of rough on their own. They're mm -hmm. just so slow and not bad. They kind of need just... to be to set up the rest of it. And I but... get it. They are. But like, I'm glad I saw Rogue One before I watched this. So I could be like, I know what these guys can do. I know where this is leading to. I trust them to like take me there. Well, let me say on someone who has not seen Rogue One. You've not seen Rogue no, One? No, no, no. Oh, but Margaret oh, hasn't. Okay. I was going to say, what the fuck, Tyler? This show works just as well. Good. We ended up doing it in two sittings, only because we did have to sleep at some yeah, point. Yeah, I kind of wish I could just do it in two sittings. We did, I think, the the first ten episodes in a block. Jesus Christ. It makes me anxious, but not in a way that I don't want to watch. Like... There are some shows like The Office makes me anxious in ways that I just can't. Mm -hmm. I can handle about one TikTok episode, like one TikTok length video of The Office. Longer than that, and I start just like crawling out of my skin. <laughs> but with Andor, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so uncomfortable. Play the next one. So I love it. That might be my number one show of the year. Andor is. Fantastic. I haven't finished it, so I can't say it yet, but it easily could be. I am now one of those people that have watched um, all up to the current episode of White Lotus. I don't even know what that is, honestly. Yeah, I, I know what Aubrey Plaza is like? in this latest season. Yeah, I, there was a bunch of like I didn't know what it was about. I don't at all. I got nothing. Um, 
all I had heard was a lot of like internet rumbly bumbly because it's something like that's super in the mainstream right now and it's like Euphoria ended, so all those people needed something else to watch. Oh, I didn't know Euphoria ended. Well, I mean, oh, it's season in between seasons. Ended. Okay, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Basically, that's what I've I've been able to gather is like this is like this, this sounds is weird not to say genre this is television. The, this is not genre. This is the big normie thing right now. <laughs> we say as we watch Star Wars and Marvel nonstop. <laughs> This is the big normie thing right uh, now for uh, a couple reasons. First off, I love the show. I hate most of the online discourse around it, and I'm trying to actively avoid it now that I've like dipped my toe in it a, little, a couple times. I'm going to say I understand, but then I'm going to ask why, other than the fact that most online discourse I'm increasingly thinking is trash. So the sh- it's an anthology murder mystery drama series. That's oh, a I could see black that going- comedy drama. I could see that going really weird directions. About extremely, extremely rich, extremely pretty people. Yeah. And there are... There are indictments of some of the characters. There are subtleties in some of the writing. I'm not going to say that they aren't there, but it seems like the popular thing to call this show is a, like, biting social satire which it is not. (laughs) It's a really well-done murder mystery black comedy drama about basically the 1%. It's a nibbling social satire. Yeah, it's... (sighs) No, I get it. I I know exactly the kind of show that you're talking. I'm like, Arrested Development kind of has... Although that is much more... Honestly, the, the best thing I could compare it to in watching the show and then reading some of those things online is it's the, once again, quote unquote, normie version of, well, you have to be smart to understand Rick and Morty. Oh no. That sentence made me angry and I don't dislike, I've only seen like three episodes, but like amazing, amazing. You don't have to be smart. (laughs) No, it helps helps for some of the episodes because they do get layered and deep, but in fact, most of the people that claim they're smart enough for Rick and Morty aren't. Right. And it's even more infuriating because, like, there will be the same place, like, the same places that these, like, oh, we're so high and mighty for watching White Lotus because it is this biting social, social satire will then the next day be like, hmm, are Porsche's outfits trash? Can they even be called outfits? One of the characters in this new season. Porsche, yeah, okay. And I'm like, I hate you. First off, her outfits are amazing and are half the reason why I have a giant crush on her. But but also, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> that being said, I'm really enjoying it for like the murder mystery aspects, the drama, the black comedy. It's all great. It's just it's all 100 percent just like a show about really rich, really pretty people. And legitimately, I think a couple of the characters in each season would qualify as the one percent. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, that does not surprise me. It's kind of why I like watching Bond films. Mm-hmm. Probably very rich, extremely attractive people of all types hanging out and, and not shooting each other, but you know. And the, the murder mystery part is also really fun because of the way it's set up, because it's not j- just trying to figure out who the killer is. It's who's the victim. Each Each season opens with... Uh, some version of, oh my God, somebody was murdered at this resort and you don't know who was murdered. 
And then it goes one week earlier and you know oh, that. Oh, so you go back and then you're going to be like, which one will die? And it's like, which one will die and who did it at the same time as you're going through it? I really like that setup. Yeah. That's actually super interesting. Yeah. I, I'm loving that setup. That almost sounds like Knives Out. I, I mean, Knives Out, so you know who's dead at the beginning, but that mm-hmm. like rich, shitty people. And murder mystery. I don't, I'm losing track of that there. Uh, well, and it, the first season, you know, at least one of the people that survive because you do see them in that opening setup. Mm-hmm. The second season, it you could don't, be anyone. it could be anyone. And there's multiple deaths. Hmm. And all you know is where the bodies were found. I feel like that show would drive me up a wall. Not in a bad way. Like I said, it is really good. They are saying incredible things. This latest season, I think the writing is even better than the first. It is doing a lot of commentary on the transactional nature of relationships, whether it's a relationship that you think of as being transactional or not. Mm. Especially at that level of rich, it becomes much more transactional, much easier. But whatever. Um, to end it, to end it off with something genre, I guess I'll also throw out, like, I had watched the first season, the first episode when it dropped and didn't bring it up on the pod, but, uh, last weekend I spent an afternoon with a friend getting all caught up on, like, the eight, I think eight episodes of Bleach Thousand Year Blood War that's out now. It's fucking bonkers and I'm loving it. (laughs) It's so good. I... It's all the it's all the reasons why Bleach was always my favorite of the big three to begin with. So I started getting back into Bleach a couple of years back. Back into Bleach. Because mm-hmm. I read it uh, up. At least up through when they're sent into the spirit world with the big canon thing. Oh, OK. Yeah, so yeah. I know that's not far into the series, but like it was. But it's a long enough running series that that's also a decent chunk into the series. That was like 15 to 20 volumes. Like, it was not an insignificant amount in. Um, And then I picked up the first three volumes in one, and I started reading it, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And I put it down, and I just never picked it up again. So it's a hard one to pick back up because there's just so much of it. And there's so many characters. I There are so many characters. <laughs> I have like one volume left of Naruto from when I was doing the reread like two mm-hmm. years ago. But it's been like two years. So I'm going to have to go back a couple volumes and I haven't figured out where the mm. where I can go back to. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, I could go back. No, I could go back. to. Oh, God. And now I'm realizing like I, I don't have to go back all the way to the beginning. Right. That's 80 volumes. I'm not doing that. But you definitely need but to But the best jumping to... point is the the time gap jump. I don't know if you ever read or watched Naruto. No, but I know a little bit of it through osmosis. In the anime, they change it to Shippuden. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've never, I, I read it, not watched it. But there's a, a, a like three year time gap. And that's probably the best place to jump back in. Okay. That's also like 40 volumes back. Like that's. That's not insignificant (laughs) by any amount. So I'm sitting here looking at it being like, literally I have one. I mean, it's like 200 pages, but it's Mm -hmm. not. I just, Oh God. I might just have to be like, I've been wanting to read Baruto, the follow up at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. I might just have to be like, all right, I skimmed it. 
I vaguely remember what was happening. Naruto powered up again like 15 to 20 times. Now, from what I'm... So this is actually... The Thousand Year Blood War is the only arc in Bleach that I didn't read. I read up to it, have never read it, Mm -hmm. and then they canceled it. And then I sort of fell away from anime and manga for a bit. Yeah, that was why I never finished Bleach, because I, I fell out of manga for years. Yeah. So, you know, this, them doing, finally animating it is what's getting me back to it. Mm-hmm. But from some of the things I've read about it is that this might actually be the slightly superior version, because those last chapters in the manga were actually rushed more than the anime is. Well, coming back, they're because, allowed to give it a little more breathing room. So they're actually fleshing out some scenes that were only mentioned in the manga. I'm not always the manga is superior. I mm-hmm. usually think the comic that the thing is based off is superior. But like, I, especially when there are various reasons that something didn't get finished in a way that you might not Right. Want. And then when the creator is, uh, I don't know if the creator is a big part of this. I believe he is, from what I understand. It sounded like that to me as well. But if you get to come back and be like, okay, let's, I don't want to do this right, but let's, let's tackle some, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Neil Gaiman did it with Good Omens. Absolutely. Uh, American Gods did a few different things. Gaiman wasn't as involved in that one. He was very involved, but he wasn't. Uh, Martin did it. With the episode he wrote for season two of Game of Thrones. Which one was that? Uh, Blackwater. Um, where they actually attack King's Landing and Tyrion leads the defense. Oh, yeah, okay. There's a scene in the beginning of that episode where Bronn and the Hound have a conversation because they never did in the book. Hmm, fair enough. And Martin was like, these characters should have a lot to say to each other. <laughs> <laughs> they should have a conversation. Yeah. That's fair. I never read past the first book, so I. Mm. This is, yeah. We've discussed my Game yeah. of Thrones stuff at nauseum. It's fine. Um, but, oh, oh my God. It's beautiful because I love the stylization. We're back on of, yeah. Okay. I love the stylization of Bleach anyway. And, like, when the anime got canceled, the mangaka was like, cool. I get to end this however I want. <laughs> like, I don't have to think about the fact that it's going to be like adapted and go through standards and practices and I, I have to deal I with can this be as violent as I want. I don't have to worry about animators choking me for the amount of things that I'm going to make them animate. Well, and I guess I think there was at least a little bit of a, a rivalry between his writing and one of the producers for the anime because one of the one of the anime producers was convinced that his favorite ship should happen and it was two characters that the original author meant to be more of a brother and sister relationship. Was it, uh, uh, Rukia and, uh, and Ichigo? Ichigo. Yeah. Like he's like, Tite Kubo's like, they should be more like brother and sister. And one of the producers on the anime is like, and a dedicated, I really want them to hook up. And a dedicated part of the fan community. Like yeah. that is a, people have opinions. So like basically anytime it was a filler season, they were on the verge of hooking up and anytime it was a season based <laughs> off of the manga, they were like, yo, what's up, bro? <laughs> the, the amount of clickbait articles that I've seen debating who Ichigo should have ended up with. Not that the one he, the girl he ended up with was that interesting from my memory, but I think it should be no one. 
personally. Yeah, that's fine. We don't need a romance in the end of everything. I had the same feeling about Naruto. Um, but it was a lot of like, cool, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to deal with that. I don't. I can end it however I want. I'm going off the fucking rails. And there's already been a lot of major character deaths. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a... That was in your blood war or whatever the fuck it's called. I love it. <laughs> okay. And just really cool new designs on some of the characters too. That's nice. Let's see. So I was sick for a couple of days. So, and I was the kind of sick where I was like sitting on the couch, annoyed. I couldn't do things mm-hmm. like I'm sitting there being like, I feel mostly fine. I should, I'm, I'm wasting my paid leave. Vacations planned. I'm going to, show them and I'd get up to make noodles and be like, I'm going to (laughs) die. I can't, I'm going to, so uh, a lot of drawing, a lot of reading, a lot of watching TV. I went from the Thrawn trilogy, which I mentioned last week, and I've been catching up on a lot of the Marvel Star Wars comics. Okay. Something I need to do myself. I have some some Dr. Aphra on order. So really looking forward to that. And I kind of jumped forward a bit and I uh, read the, I'm, I've read the main crossover and now I'm reading the side books and remembering why I don't do big crossover comics very often anymore of uh, War of the Bounty Hunters, mm. which is a crossover book that tied in all of the active Marvel books. Okay. Um, it's good. Who are the main bounty hunters at war? The idea is all of the Marvel comics right now take place between uh, Empire and Jedi. Okay. So, because before they were doing bef- between New Hope and Empire. Empire, and like Charles Sewell, who's been writing, he's one of the best Star Wars writers of all time. Like he's really working his way up to that between his uh, novels and his High Republic stuff and mm-hmm. his these things. The very first issue of the main Star Wars series that he's writing takes place after Cloud City, but before Luke gets his hand. Okay. Like, it's that yeah. flight. So, uh, the war is... Spoilers on this, if you care about spoilers for a big Marvel thing. The Crimson Dawn comes back, and they manage to steal away Han Solo in Carbonite from Boba Fett. Oh, shit. And they put him up on auction. Oh, shit. So, Boba Fett is trying to get his fucking uh, bounty back. Mm-hmm. Job of the Hutt... He's trying to get his Han Solo that he ordered. Luke and Leia and Lando and Chewbacca are trying to get their fucking friend back. Uh, Dr. Afra just got pulled into this whether she likes it or not because she wanted to steal shit from this auction. Okay. Um, that, and Boba Fett threatens her into helping. Uh, a guy that I don't think you would know, a bounty hunter named Valance. Valance. Okay. He was in the original so. Marvel comics and then they brought him back. Okay. For, um, he's the main character in a book just called Bounty Hunters. Gotcha. Right now. Because the four running Star Wars titles is Star Wars, which is... Is he human? Droid Man. Droid Man? Okay. He's got like a half robot face. Sweet. And uh, he's got a blaster, uh, a hand blaster that is literally just a blaster built into his hand. Okay. He was a TIE pilot when Han Solo was in the Academy. And he was in a big TIE crash and lost too much body mm-hmm. to be allowed. So the empire just kind of like stuck some shitty droid parts on him and threw him out on the street. So he got himself rebuilt and became a bounty hunter and he's eternally kind of falling apart, but he's also pretty bad. Kind of great. Yeah. yeah. And he feels like he owes Han a debt because Han saved him when he crashed in that 
Oh, top. gotcha. Okay. Uh, he keeps teaming up with people like Forlom and Suckus and Den, you know, all of the like mm-hmm. Empire bounty hunters and going up against Boba Fett. And Any Bosk? Bosk, yes, shows Sweet. up multiple times. And it all really points out that those might be great bounty hunters, but they're sure not fucking Boba Fett. I'm okay with that. Uh, but as I said, it's Star Wars, which is Luke, Leia, Lando, and Chewie. Dr. Afra, which is Doc Afra, and uh, Sana Staros, who did you read any of the Marvel stuff when they first started? No. When they first introduced herself, she was claiming to be Han Solo's wife, but oh, it was part okay. of a grift. I know who you're talking about. She's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy her. There's the Darth Vader series. Yeah. And then there's Bounty Hunters, which is mostly about violence, but it, it involves several, you know, Bosk shows up, Boba Fett shows up, Dengar shows up. And then Kira from Solo is oh, back. Sweet. Because she's running Crimson Dawn now, and she's trying to make a second empire to take out. Okay. She's kind of Shizor from the Black Sun from the old, uh, I, I can't think of what that book was. but uh, without Shadows of the Empire? Shadows of the Empire. Without the awkward rapey shit okay. that Shizor was all about. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. God, I loved Shizor when I was a kid. And then I learned, like, I, I grew up and read it again and went, Oh no. I, I never read the book. I only played the game. So I read it a bunch. Although I did play the game a shit ton. I wanted to play the game a shit ton, but I had a PlayStation, not an N64. So I'm getting caught up on that. Bounty hunters is one of the better comics on the market right now. Just it's at least of the mainstream titles. It is really good. Uh, Let's see. What else? I watched a bunch of Deep Space Nine, the early season stuff, which is the stuff that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, you just kind of give it a skip. Just just go to season four when the, like, big Dominion War shit starts happening. Don't. The early stuff is slow. It's very, very slow. But it's really good because it is about we're this, like, middle-of-nowhere station that through complete fucking accident suddenly became one of the most like potentially important areas in the entire galaxy. We have like three shuttles and a doctor that just got out of the Academy and doesn't know what's happening. How the fuck do we deal with this? So it, it does a really good job of how the that. fuck do they deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want fun action shit, you want the second half, but like the, the buildup is really good. Honestly, there's some great character work. And then um, first two episodes, the episodes of Willow that have come out. Oh, shit. I watched those as well. The pay, the characterization's a little all over the place, but I mostly like it. I'm really enjoying it. I mostly like it. Definitely to the point where I'm going to keep watching it. I Some want of it to is choke. falling super flat for me. I want to choke the main princess. Yeah. I recognize that she's being a big brat and that's like part of a character arc and stuff. There are a lot of characters that we kind of just got introduced cold to and it, I'm having a hard time because I don't feel like any of them are getting the development that I want from them. And I know Willow just dropped characters on us like um, bam, 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 but it only had an hour and a half and they were, I don't want to say generic enough characters, but like basic enough characters that you immediately understood who these characters were. 
I have no idea what their fucking plan is with like the fiance of the princess for political reasons. The, the, the I think he's a bard basically like yeah. he's got the flute. Uh, yeah. Tony Revolori. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm, like I said, I like the show. I'm going to, especially enough to keep watching it. I'm super curious what's coming up. Some of it's falling super flat. Tony Revolori in the first like episode and a half seems to basically be reading his lines off a page. And it's kind of part of the fact that his character is supposed to be super oppressed by his father. But mm-hmm. like, I've seen him act and this, I don't know parts of it. Here's what I am going to say. I think, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, Borman, our new Mad Mardigan, mm. is fucking killing it. Love him. Love him to death. <laughs> he is 100% exactly what he needs to be. He is just destroying the role. I just kind of feel overall like all like family friendly, all ages adventure romp is really hard to write. Oh, absolutely. And they're trying really hard, but it's... They're not getting it. Well, and they're trying to own the fact that this is generic fantasy, Mm -hmm. which isn't a, I say generic and we automatically think bad. It's not a bad thing, but it's filling several tropes that a lot of fantasy has not been trying to do lately. Lately, it's been like grim and gritty fucking Game of Thrones or whatever. And again, those are great too. But this is, these characters are almost fucking Dragonlance characters. Like, yeah, the, the roles that they fill. Alora Dan, the problem is we were introduced to Alora Dannon. I think they should have stretched that reveal. I actually appreciate that Willow had no time for like the mystery, but like we're introduced to Alora Dannon, Prince Fuckboy, Brad. Eric. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Princess, probably a badass, but definitely needs to get her head out of her own ass. Uh, Kit. Romantic interest, night lady. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember her name at all. And Prince fiance for political reasons. The guy we were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Flash Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh God. I didn't put that together until right now. Um, yes. All of those characters and none of them. I mean, obviously Prince Fuckboy, he's kidnapped and we're not seeing Mm -hmm. him. That's fine. But even with the other four. None of them are really getting a whole lot of room to have anything more than like the barest surface level stuff. And I think all of them have the potential. And I'm again, we're talking about the first two episodes of what a 10 episode series. Something like that. Yeah. So this get a hundred percent turnaround, but like I need more. I need moments for them that we're not getting. And we could very easily, I could see a Laura Dannon, and Kit both getting very good moments in the next episode with the way things are setting up. I don't know who's writing this series, and I don't want to act like I'm shitting on them too much because I'm sure it was extremely hard to do. But you know who they should have got to write this? Hmm. Fucking homeboy that wrote Bone. Jeff Smith? Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God! Um, also, I do know that, like, Mad Mardigan was supposed to be in this. Even with the throat cancers, I read an interview with the guy running the show <laughs> where the uh, Val Kilmer, like they they were talking and he was so excited to be in it. He fucking loved making Willow. And at the end, he gave him a hug like Val Kilmer gave the, the Lawrence. I think it's Lawrence. John Kasdan. 
John Caston. John Caston gave him a hug, and he picked John Caston up and went, "See, I'm still really strong. I can make your show." And he's like, "Okay, buddy. Wasn't saying you can't." <laughs> like, <laughs> everything I hear, Val Kilmer is a fucking lunatic. Not necessarily in a. He's definitely not in a Kanye West kind of lunatic. Like, good. Yes. Okay. So that's an extreme <laughs> example, but like, you know, there are creators that you're mm-hmm. like you're fucking banana pants and it's really unfortunate. He just seems like a fucking weirdo that we all kind of love, even though Val Kilmer mostly just plays Val Kilmer. Yeah. I, but then COVID hit and he's like between the fucking throat cancer and a hole in my throat. He could not say it that loud either. And then um, COVID, he just couldn't. And I a hundred percent do not, Blame him for any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Really enjoying know. Mad Mardigan to Electric Boogaloo. Like, so far, yeah. he is my favorite part. He's I kind f- of the saving grace of the show. Fucking for me love right the now. cleaver. The cleaver's dope. I'm being, I keep being thrown with like Willow being kind of a shit sorcerer, but it honestly kind of tracks at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. it's probably better than the weird book thing where he becomes like a half demon shit. Like, that's, you know, this campaign's gone on too long kind of writing. Never said I was powerful. I said I was a wizard. (laughs) And then uh, last night I started Wednesday. Oh, yeah. So I've heard all sorts of things across the board on it. All over the map reviews. I've heard all over the map reviews, but have been uh, surprised by the weird amount of like super high praise that I've been seeing coming, especially in just the past couple days. I have only seen two episodes. So Mm -hmm. take a I became much more interested when I found out that Miller and Go were major creators. Cause they keep talking mm. about Tim Burton, but I think he just produced it. I think you're right. Yeah. Like put his name on it. And I mean, he was involved, but he wasn't like the showrunner. Um, I think it's Miles Miller and Alfred. I don't remember their last names. They created Smallville. Oh yeah. Okay. They ran the first five seasons. So for better or worse, cause you know, we've made fun of that show a lot. I love that show. <laughs> They know how to make genre television. They kind of defined how to make genre television for this generation. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. It's a very strange show. I mean, it's the fucking Adams family, but like so far, I'm liking it quite a bit. Now, I don't know the Adams family super well. Like, I, I saw the movies, but I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I know the fucking cartoons. In the original series, how much was it a thing that there were other monsters? I don't even know if you know the Adams family. I know we know the monsters better than. Um, honestly, I probably technically know the Adams a little bit better than the monsters, but only very slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's a thing, but only within like the Adams' own world. Okay, if that makes sense, like family gets together you're expected to see some monsters. Because in this one, it's just a thing. It's, you know, there's this school and, like, there's the vampire clique. Mm-hmm. There's the whatever. And, like, the normies, which is part of why I laughed when you used that word earlier, uh, in the town are just like, oh, it's a school of freaks. How are you not? There's a fucking siren and a bunch of vampires in there. How are you not freaking out more? I miss the other... Adam's family members. Cause like, 
because they're like it's Wednesday's show. Yeah. Yeah. Pugsley has two lines. I mean, again, I'm two episodes in. This might change more. I know we will get more of the Adams parents. Mm -hmm. And I know that Fred Armisen plays Uncle Fester, which I'm fucking in love with that idea. That's fun. But so far, it's been almost exclusively Wednesday Adams and Thing. Cool. But like, Gomez is my favorite Adams, so I would like to see more Gomez, please. Right. Especially because it's Luis Guzman. Like, um, I I'm going to eventually watch the show. It just everything I've seen from the outside feels like. Well, we really wanted to make Sabrina, but we missed the boat. So we have to choose another character to do this with. I can see why you thought that. I disagree with that assessment but not by as much as I want to disagree with that <laughs> assessment, if that makes any sense. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's a very different much monster, the but Adam's <laughs> family, but like, I, I get it. Uh, putting Wednesday on her own. And here's this thing. The feel is comp- okay. Admittedly, I've never seen chilling adventures of Sabrina. I still haven't watched it. I still so, need to finish it. I've only watched the first season, so I can't compare it to that, but it is so tonally different from, uh, you know, classic oh, Melissa yeah. Joy Hart, John Hart, yeah, John Hart, Sabrina. the The aesthetic that they're going for, the feel that they're going for, is extremely good. Um, I heard some people describe it as a pretty good Hogwarts substitute because people like me are eternally looking for that fix. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty similar. There's a comic book series that I've been reading called I think Blackwood that has very similar. It's similar enough that like. I keep being like, did they read Blackwood? Maybe they it's just kind of horror Hogwarts, so it's probably not. But like the tropes, Um, they've done some pretty clever tie ins to like they're she's figuring out this puzzle and the uh, she's going through the various things to figure out how to like open the secret door. And then I can't actually snap my fingers, but uh, she figures out the solution and she almost smiles, which is not a thing she does in this show. And she goes, of course. And then does the snap, snap. Mm. So like, I was like, oh, that was good. That was fun. Like I said, I think I'll probably end up liking it. I just don't see much from the outside that makes me want to be drawn in other than the fact that I know it's Wednesday Adams. That's kind of why I started watching it. Mm-hmm. I am surprised by how much I'm enjoying it, especially because I've heard such wildly varying reviews. The, uh, who is that? Jenna Ortega? Jenna Ortega. She's great. Cool. Good. She's really good. And, and I will say from the trailers, she looked like she was, she's committed it. to the bit. Jesus Christ. Christina Ricci's in it. Oh, don't, I don't think she, so far she's not in it much. Okay. But she's, there. I'm glad she's in it because Ortega talked about how stressful she was like, holy shit. Yeah. Christina Ricci's in. Oh fuck. I have to be Wednesday Adams in front of like Wednesday. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Christina Ricci is Wednesday for all intents and purposes. I will say not a single male teenage actor in that has been able to act so far. <laughs> they're not terrible, but they're just not great. Heartthrob boy. Okay. Fucking, uh, I, they might recover, but so far each one of them, I've been like, man, you are just here. <laughs> You're pretty and pointless so far. My guy, <laughs> like, man, you are here acting, aren't you? <laughs> I would have just fucking eaten this show up when I was like 17. I bet you there's a bunch of teenagers that are just so 
horny for this show. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I am definitely not horny for this show because I'm 34 and Wednesday is a not. teenager. <laughs> and that's not, you know... Uh, you, but like, um, <laughs> age appropriate people probably super into her. And I, I would have been that guy. I, um, yeah, like I said, I'll probably eventually get to it. I just think I have more things yeah. to get through first. Super fair. Like I really need to get caught up on doom patrol, but I need to start doom patrol. So I get you. Uh, we do have some trailers. We have so many fucking trailers people for the sake of my podcast. Stop or <laughs> spread them out. More. That's what I mean. We Stop had doing five at a time. We had weeks where we had no barely trailers. anything to we talk no about. No trailers for two episodes. Oh, so many fucking trailers. Let's do them in reverse order so that I can gradually get more excited. Yeah, that's kind of how it went, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we watched the Ant-Man retrospective. There's almost nothing from the new movie in it. Yeah, whatever. Cool. I do not care about Scott Lang. Paul Rudd is charming. Paul Rudd's great. That's fine. Love that's that's what I got. I'm ex- still just excited to see what Jonathan Majors does with Kang. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Yep, that's it. Until I see it. What was next? Indiana Jones? Indy. Indy. It looked good. It's Dial of Destiny. I don't think it's a very good name. I hate the name. I think the name's dumb. Um, Di- don't put... It sounds like put, Don't put Dial in an adventure movie title. It sounds like he's trying to get the hero Dial. The H dial from the DC yeah. Comics character. Stupid. I would actually no. be into that, but <laughs> My, probably more interesting movie. <laughs> the, nothing. I mean, okay. We have been very burned off of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull trailer looked better than this trailer. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull trailer also looked amazing, and that movie was not. Although I've been kind of wanting to rewatch it just to see if I still. Like, if my opinion will improve at all with how dismally I remember that movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, good actors in it that I'm hoping will pull it up. But it, once again, family-friendly adventure movie is hard to do. It looks like they're trying to do another replacement indie because... Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf's character, who was like Mud or something like yeah. that. Uh, Mutt. Mutt! Just do it. Did it really work out? And Shia LaBeouf, time has not been kind to him. <laughs> if we're going to talk about an actor who sounds like he's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, which cool. I can, I can already feel the neckbeards angry at the, what we're going to have a girl Indy now. Cause it's his goddaughter or something like, well, we should, but it should be Dr. Afra, not Indy. <laughs> <laughs> or Laura Croft, or like, there's ways to do it. I hope Harrison Ford tries more than he has tried in the last few things I've seen him in. And you know what? I'm not even blaming. Harrison Ford has never been that heavy duty of an actor, and he's like 80, so you're allowed to be mm-hmm. tired if you want. <laughs> Just yeah. He's a tired old Henri Stoner. Quit trying to put him in your movies. <laughs> Let him be that. Let him be. <laughs> Let Harrison Ford be. Stop casting him in things. That's it. I hope he's Thunderbolt Ross for all of five minutes. He has always loved playing indie. This has been the one that he's always seemed most passionate about. And if we go off the rule of Indiana Jones movies, theoretically it's due for a good one. Yeah. Because it goes good, bad, good, bad. Hopefully good. <laughs> 
Okay, I should not say Last Crusade was good. Last Crusade was decent. I had fun with that one. Penitent Man Nero's before God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was before? Transformers. Man? Transformers. Rise, Rise of, of the, the Beasts. Beast. So it actually looks like it's going to be a shit ton of fun. There's one thing I'm running into that I kind of dislike. The giant beasts? Mm. No. Nothing. None of those giant robots seem like they have any mass whatsoever. Mm, yeah, that's fair. They are not affecting anything with like outside a one foot radius of their computer generated model. I would rather they have used the classic voice for Optimus Primal mm. in the same way that they got. Um, I can't think of his name. Um, Optimus to come back. Peter, right. Not seller. Um, Peter. Anyway, that guy, that guy, one shall stand, one shall fall. Um, cause I mean, we've talked about it. Beast Wars is my transformers. And that dude is, my Optimus. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't going to get that guy, Ron Perlman's a fucking great oh, choice. Such a good choice, right? And I like Anthony Ramos enough that he can be the forgettable human in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock on Anthony Ramos. That's any human in any Transformers movie. Uh, any Transformers movie, Godzilla movie, or King Kong movie. Yes. <laughs> Fucking the Reese, uh, Skull Island is the closest they ever came to interesting humans in a King Kong movie. And that's only because Tom Hiddleston was katanning pterosaurs in half. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, Loki and Captain Marvel had their weird, like, jungle adventure romance. And. <laughs> Which now I'm just imagining. Loki and Captain Marvel in like romancing the stone. And it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, fucking actually, you know what? I'm going to say Kong Skull Island has the best human characters in any of these things we're talking about. Still mostly forgettable. Yeah. I remember the actors more than anything Mm -hmm. else. Anthony Ramos again. (laughs) Um, It bothers me that the robots in disguise have a cheetah that's bigger than a truck. Yes. You have defeated the point when you are a fuck. Like, I'm sure it's cool. And it it works a little better with Optimus Primal because Optimus Primal was inspired by King Kong. That's why he fights a T-Rex all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, the size discrepancies in Beast Wars were a little out there because Rat Trap was a rodent of unusual size from fucking Princess Bride. And uh, Megatron was the runtiest T-Rex Mm-hmm. Ever. A cheetah should not be bigger than a truck. <laughs> Megatron's always turned into small things anyway. I turned into a gun. I was about to say, he turns <laughs> into a, a Walther. <laughs> yeah, but it's a Walther the size of a tank. Starscream uses him. I've always hated that, to be honest. I'm like, my Megatron is a dinosaur. <laughs> not a Walther. Or not a Walther PB-8. Not a weird tank, although I'll accept weird tank. And the dragon look in the end of Beast Wars is okay, but the dinosaur is better. <laughs> the action legitimately just looks fun, though. Like, I kind of want to see that giant battle that they're showing at the end of the trailer. I have not watched all the way through a Transformers movie since the first one. 
That's not a bad call. Yeah, I watched part of the third one. Okay. And I meant to go back to the second one, but then I watched part of the third one and went, oh, I think I'm good. And I want to watch Bumblebee. So mm-hmm. we've talked about doing an episode on that. Uh, because I heard that's pretty good. I just, you know, yeah, me. This one looks like it could be fine. It it's, looks like a popcorn movie. I don't expect more from that. Like, no. The others looked like bad popcorn movies. So I, I'm almost running into the problem where I think I would have fun watching it, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to prioritize it into my schedule to watch it. Oh, no. I, I mean, this is the same reason I watched Bumblebee. Yet. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Then are we to the fun one yet? Mario. Oh, no, Mario. That's right. Everything about Mario looks good except for Chris Pratt phoning it in. Yeah, yo, Jack Black is like the perfect fucking Bowser. Fucking inspired. Such, so good. Anya Taylor-Joy We don't seems get much of great. her yet, but like... Seems to be great, though. And the moment where she picks up the fire flower and like starts playing fire in, that looks like it could be really cool. Like, you could do shit with this. And, I mean, we'll talk about it, because Chris Pratt's in the next two things. I know... People have kind of turned on Chris Pratt. There's very obvious reasons. He's really committed to a pretty anti-gay church. Uh, he's getting a little right wing with some of his stuff. Uh, yeah, I saw he definitely right before the midterms endorsed a really, really shitty L.A. politician. So did Snoop Dogg wildly. Yeah. Uh, his yeah, he was in some weird movies. Where he's, I don't know, like Chris Pratt. I'm not. I understand why people are turning on him. I still have enjoyed him in everything I've seen him in. Yes, he just. And I think actually Chris Pratt could have done Mario. He's not trying to do Mario. He's doing Chris Pratt while occasionally going, let's go or it's a me. I'm not going to lie. It's maybe the line that was furthest off from what we're used to, but that lets it go when he's going to go like gladiator battle Donkey Kong. I kind of bought it. Because of the situation he was in. Mm-hmm. Like, just, you're not going to give the, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> in that situation. You're staring down a giant fucking gorilla, and you're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I think this movie looks fun. I just, every time Chris Pratt talks, it pulls me out of it. The thing I'm worried about after watching this trailer is that it's going to be far too much of just bouncing from one reference to another. Mm -hmm. I could see that. I was surprised by some of the things that they did. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, Oh, that's straight out of the game in a way that I would not have done. And like, I I'm will love to see some of these things being a lifelong fucking Mario player. My, the first video game I remember playing is super Mario Bros. Same. Very, uh, it's the, one of my the double one that had Duck Hunt on it. Yeah, it's one of my earliest memories with my father. Like, I'm going to cherish that memory forever. Dad hated it and got rid of the NS when I wasn't paying attention, but yes, similar. Um, so I'm going to love seeing some of these things brought to life, but I can't have a movie where you're literally just bouncing from one reference to another in that world because I don't care that much. And what's that story? Yeah, it's like I learned that there's actually apparently relatively deep lore to Mario. And I went, really? Mario? Well, well what? <laughs> from what I could gather from this trailer is that 
Peach is telling him that he's the Mushroom Kingdom's version of Thor, protector of the Nine Realms? Yeah, basically. There seems to be some prophecy that Mario will save them, and everyone's kind of setting up for it, and Mario's going, wait, what? Which almost assuredly means that Peach is going to save them. I fucking hope so. I wouldn't doubt that that her grabbing that fire flower is from, like, in the last third of the movie. That'd be awesome. I think everything else is probably from the first 20 minutes, and I think that's probably a pull from towards the end. Yeah, a lot of it looked like training montage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the animation is really good. Animation is good. Charlie Day's great as Luigi. Mm-hmm. As we've mentioned, they uh, took away Mario's butt, which is kind of sad, but mm-hmm. oh well. I like that we saw little bits of fucking Mario Kart happening in there. Look... The- He's on the Rainbow Road. How close to Thor does he need to be? Right? <laughs> we saw the herd of Yoshis. That was cool. Yeah. The one line actually made you laugh out loud with the the, the toads going, what are we supposed to do? We're adorable. Yeah. Because they are. They were they're they're not wrong. They gave like the big, the big cute eyes. It was fucking adorable. It could be a lot of fun. It could also be just an hour and a half of look how Mario we are. I've already saw one article online this week that was entitled why, why the super low expectations for the Super Mario Brother movie might work in its favor. Well, yeah. Okay, in fairness, we all sort of love the old Mar- Super Mario Brothers movie. Look, there's a lot of people these days that like it kind of like ironically. I love it. Non-ironically, I've always loved that movie. Uh, that's one of the first movies that let me just separate something else into its own separate headcanon universe and call it good. I haven't seen it in probably 10 years, so I don't know if I enjoy it ironically or just... I remember being aware that it's not a good movie while also having a lot of fun watching it. It's, I just love John Leguizamo. Yep. There's a wild fucking cameos in it. Oh, it's a bizarre movie. The... The dancing sequence in the elevator was something that my family <laughs> riffed on for just years and That's, years I'm and I'm 100% years. not surprised that weirdo <laughs> fucking almost Fallout <laughs> Mario World is the thing that you were into as a child. Like, that and the Addams Family makes... It explains you so well, my guy. I, <laughs> yo, I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie in theaters. <laughs> I will always be curious how they got to that and went, this is Mario. (laughs) From what I understand, there's some super wild stories from behind the scenes on that movie. Oh, I have no doubt. And the writing of that movie. Oh, I have no doubt. Um, Okay. Uh, uh, Guardians. Guardians. I don't know if this is going to be my favorite of the Guardians movies, but I am almost going to guarantee that that fucking movie is going to make me cry if they're going as hard into Rocket and Half-World as it looks like they're going. It looks like they're borrowing really heavily from the Donny Cates Guardians run where Rocket is dying, so they go to Half-World to try and help him. I'm super in. Adam Warlock is one of my all-time favorite Marvel characters, so really digging seeing him. I saw some people mad that they have, like, a super pretty boy, Adam Warlock, but one... he Okay, first off, Adam Warlock should be a super pretty boy. Oh, he's all... Look at that perfectly coiffed hair. Like, always. I'm actually surprised that they got Will Poulter to play Adam Warlock, because I never in a million years would have been like, oh, you know, you know who should play Adam Warlock? That awkward little ginger kid over there. 
uh, they got the perfectly coiffed hair. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name, but he was in, uh, he was Mern in Peacemaker, and he's playing the high evolutionary. Who seems to have one of his experiments on the treadmill. Uh-huh. We have, I'm, I'm betting the high evolutionary created half world in this version, which would I'm make betting, sense. Yes. Um, that's also the easiest way to bring both make, of those oh, things yeah, together. It actually works perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's no reason not to do that. High Evolutionary is a lot like Kang. He's not that strong of a villain, but you can do some really good moments with him, so it could be fun. And after watching him play Mern, I'll fucking do whatever you want, my guy. Like, I believe in you. I don't know if you caught this. Lots of weird, subtle references to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I noticed like down like the I, space I, the space suits. Once again, I was excited about High Evolutionary having his experiment run on the thing because of how very he, yeah yeah because of the old school High Evolutionary like upgrade process mm-hmm. of his treadmill. But that's also two thousand one. Yeah, is very like gotta stay in shape. Um, it makes sense. It's a very James Gunn move to make too. As always, the music is top notch. They've mm-hmm. Knocked it out of the park with their classic rock choices on every one of those. I haven't watched it yet, but I guess that new ship that we see at the beginning is introduced in the holiday the, special. The Bowie, the Bowie, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched the holiday special either. Soon. I will soon. Mm-hmm. Same here. Maybe tonight. Probably not tonight, but soon. By Christmas at the latest. Yeah. Maybe on Christmas Day. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, probably Muppet Christmas Carol that day, but... I don't know why they're in the uniforms, and I'll be really curious to see how they pull that off, considering how much that's not who the movie Guardians have been. I wonder how much it might be connected to the Nova Corps getting wiped out. That's fair. I mean, and that's been a common thing of the Guardians kind of filling in the peacekeeper for. Yeah, not even space cops, but just as like. We deal with the problems. The uniforms look spot on. Yeah. They look so good. They look spot on enough to the point where I'm like, "Mm, does this uniform actually work live action? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it Uh, makes me happy seeing it, but it also just looks weird at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. It looks great on Rocket. It's weird on Star-Lord. It looks good on Star-Lord. It's weird on Chris Pratt. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, again, that Star-Lord, it's probably my favorite Star-Lord costume. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go for, like, practical good looks, the the classic zany weird bug-eyes Star-Lord from the 70s is my favorite of his costumes. But, like, the Chris Pratt Star-Lord is such a unique character from the, the Star-Lord from the comics, any version of the Star-Lord from the comics, that it feels... I could be won over. I'm not. I, I need to see how he progresses from who he was in those previous two movies to this. Mm. It looks a little weird on Drax. It's always looked a little weird on Drax when he wears it. At least, though, with Mantis, they're not making her wear a long skirt with it. Oh, yeah. Because they did that with Mantis and Moondragon in the, the series that that uniform is based off of. Mm-hmm. And it was bad. It looked bad. I'm also just super excited to see how um, the reintroduction of Gamora works. 
I'm real curious about. I wonder how much of this movie was changed thanks to the fact that it wasn't started like three or four years ago like it was supposed to be. Mm. Because between COVID and James Gunn getting fired and then rehired. Well, um, this is going to be wild, too, because this is going to be essentially the last Marvel James Gunn for the foreseeable future. Also, it's the last Guardians movie. Mm -hmm. Drax is not coming back after this. They could bring in other characters, and I kind of feel like they're trying to set up for a few other... I It sounds like Zoe Saldana, I read in a separate interview that she's pretty ready to be kind of done with some of these big genre movies. How many times has she been painted green or blue in the past, like, couple Ugh, decades? That, that said, it would be so easy to spin this off into a, like, proper Adam Warlock and Gamora mm -hmm. movie. And it would be a little jarring because they did such a good job, actually, of like the uh, the romance between Star-Lord and Gamora, which I'm not usually into, but in the movies it worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. So it'd be a little weird to suddenly be here like, well, hello, now I'm with Adam Warlock. He's very pretty. Man, that's still... I'm, I'm I like Will Poulter. I'm excited to see what he does. I've been excited... Once again, it wasn't my first idea for casting. I never in a million years would have thought of casting Will Poulter. As soon as they announced it, though, I was like, cool, I'm excited to see what they do with that because he's a great actor. Seeing Will Poulter essentially just painted gold is not what I was hoping for. And I'm hoping as I get to see more of him in action, it comes across a little bit more Adam Warlocky to me rather than just gilded Eustace Scrub. <laughs> Now, in fairness, the species that they have him coming from in Guardians 2 were also very painted gold. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Oh, shit. Fucking uh, Groot looks ripped. Yeah. Groot looks like Vin Diesel now. <laughs> like, he's just fucking... Like, Prime Vin. Yeah! <laughs> we say Prime Vin. I don't blame Vin Diesel for not trying to keep that up. Fuck no. He's like 50. Yeah, no. I don't want to keep that up, but I'm 34. <laughs> exactly. No, I, once again, not a dig at him, but there's a difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, 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 at 50, you have to take a lot more steroids than I think Finn is looking to take. Yeah. Uh, but Groot. Groot's is, taking them steroids. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's been fucking adding some miracle grow. <laughs> I'm excited for it. I'm, it, it feels weird and I don't know why yet, but something about it feels anticlimactic finishing this story after it's infinity it war and game delayed for so long mm -hmm. is straight up what it is but i also think it's going to make me fucking ball oh i'm a goddamn rocket i do not have concern because i have now watched four james gunn superhero properties you want to know what my favorite movies of marvel and dc tend to have been so far james, james gunn. gunn yeah and thor ragnarok but like <laughs> <laughs> But mostly James, James Gunn. Gunn. Yeah, he's so fucking good at this. So even if it's the weakest of those now five things, six, I haven't seen the uh, Guardians Christmas special, but it's supposed oh, to be right. great. Yeah. Even if it's the weakest of all six things, it's still going to be better than a solid half the Marvel movies. And I mostly like the Marvel movies. Where do you think he slipped his wife in? You know he did. That sounded dirty. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if she was painted bright fucking gold. <laughs> um, 
She was, uh, was she in either of the previous two Guardian movies? I don't think so. If she was, it was in the same way that Nathan Fillion was, but you have to know, know which alien. Speaking of which, like, the old Guardians crew, I think, are all supposed to be back in this one. They were supposed to get their own movie. Right. Before all of the wild shit with James Gunn happened, he was supposed to pretty much start running his own section of Marvel movies that handled Marvel space. And I was so in. I wanted a James Gunn Nova movie. I wanted a James Gunn Adam Warlock movie. I wanted to see his take on Moondragon. You guys can't see, but I'm You're nodding. enthusiastically He's nodding. Because nodding. Like, it all sounds fantastic. Oh, my God. And, you know, still great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noted, like, even when they're flashing the credits at the end, like, you see the Sly Stallone in there. Oh, man, if we're going to talk about a guy who's taken too many steroids. <laughs> okay. Let's take a quick break, because this has been the longest first half that we've done in a long fucking time. Uh, five movies, or five trailers. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, let's uh, go forth. Okay, so I agree with you, with the thing you were saying before. This is the strongest season of Black Adder by a pretty significant margin. It is not Rowan Atkinson's strongest season. No, no. And I, I can't decide if I think he's phoning it in or if just everyone else stepped up to a high enough level that it became less like this is Rowan's show. I almost feel like it's based more on the writing where they figured out how to do jokes for the Black Adder character earlier. And mm-hmm. it took more seasons to lock in. Well, how do you keep how do you keep Baldrick true to character, but also give him like legitimate jokes rather than just punch mm, Baldrick in the face? Right. Or mm, Baldrick dumb, mm-hmm. which well, is still a lot of it. But and part of it. OK, mm-hmm. so as we go forth on this, and, ah, I didn't mean mm-hmm. to do that even as as we talk about this and we compare the different seasons. I at no point am in talking about season one when I'm comparing them. <laughs> Just it's fine. We've talked about it a lot, mm-hmm. but like it's almost a different show compared to the other yes. seasons. So yeah, uh, this is the calmest Black Adder that we've gotten. This is the least like every other Black Adder has been just obsessed with rising the social ladder. This Black Adder just doesn't want to die. Yeah. This Black Adder is, and he's the least evil. He's a jerk. Yeah, he's an asshole. But, you know, especially after Black Adder the third, where he's just straight up murdering people when they're not paying attention. He kills so many people. (laughs) Black Adder the third kills so many people. Uh, This Black Adder is just a, I mean, he suffers from British imperialism, but he's also... Weirdly aware of British imperialism because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, we were still doing our empire building when I joined. And he's not saying it like it's a bad thing, but he's definitely talking about how bullshit the British Empire is at the same time. We, we talked about it in some of our Terry Pratchett stuff. There is a British awareness of that, of being like, man, we didn't do great with that whole British Empire thing, but. We did it, and it's so built into a kind of our, like, awareness Everything. that we can... It's exactly what we fucking do as Americans when we talk about a lot of our horse shit. Mm-hmm. Like, that it's just white people shit. 
Yeah, so Blackadder goes forth. Should we list out who everybody's playing and all yeah. that stuff? Let I me... think also part of it is this is the biggest cast. I mean, usually there are four main cast members. There's five this time, and then a few, like, step-on members. Uh, so we once again have Rowan Atkinson as Captain Edmund Blackadder. Mm-hmm. Tony Robinson as Baldrick. Still just Baldrick. Private S. Baldrick. Sod off, Baldrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Laurie is Lieutenant George St. Barley. I think Hugh Laurie as... Because he's James again in this, isn't he? Or hmm? George. George, that's it, George. Mm-hmm. I think he plays the role of... The, the Percy Percy role better than McCurney did. I mean, also, it's just a better character for it. But Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tim McInerney, he is not back as a Percy Percy, but as Captain Kevin Darling. Although I think there's a reference somewhere that he has an ancestor named, named Percy. Percy. <laughs> so they're like, he's not Percy, but he's... He is Percy. Uh, I found him... I mean, okay. I liked Percy in the second season. But his voice did get obnoxious. And this one, it helped to have a Melchit rival, someone who was as intelligent as Blackadder. But, uh, you know. Well, and speaking of Melchit, we have Stephen Fry back as General Melchit. Now, General Melchit's a moron. Like, it's always good to have someone <laughs> higher up than Blackadder who's an idiot. But I don't, his weird bleat noise that he, is just... <laughs> I don't know why it's funny, because it's dumb. Did you hear about his reasoning behind that? Uh -uh. Did you read this? Uh -uh. Uh, According to Stephen Fry, the times where he most often makes that sound, now he makes it other times as well, but most often it's when he's standing up or sitting down. And it's because the character has hemorrhoids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That almost makes it sad. (laughs) Also, apparently, McInerney had a hard time getting rid of the eye tick that he did for, <laughs> for Darling. Um, God, I was going to say, let's talk about the Christmas social first. Then we immediately dived into Ghost Force. Let's, let's go do Ghost Force first and then we'll do so the that Christmas we can end special. on yeah, yeah. a happy okay. note. Okay. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, happier note than ending on Ghost Force. Okay, so... Uh, I was reading a little bit about this. You talked about this. There was a lot more friction in the background of this season mm-hmm. than I think there had been in previous ones. I mean, Tim McInerney had already decided, Tim? Yep. Had already decided not to come back for season three as Other Percy than that X Percy. One episode. Um, whose character was at least as obnoxious as Percy X Percy. So I don't know why he was so. At least. At least. Anyway. Uh, Although, Darling, definitely a step up. Darling, it brings something really neat. As I said, Blackadder needs a rival that he didn't have in season three. Having Melchit in season two was a good step Mm -hmm. for him. And I was reading, and I don't know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this. A big part of the problem was so many of the actors were professional writers and comedians on their own that they would get the scripts... And then they would all sit down together and punch it up. And then the writers would be like, what the fuck did you do? And I haven't read the other scripts, so I can't say. But man, these guys were, in my opinion, even though I said this is Rowan Atkinson's weakest season of the three as Blackadder. This is the tightest run season of Blackadder 
by a large amount. Mm-hmm. It uses the least amount of silly voice humor, although it still has yeah, plenty of that. The the gags tend to be much more intelligent, much less like, oh, look, and then Baldrick got a turnip stuck on his head. <laughs> look, that turnip is shaped like a thingy. <laughs> <laughs> Love that episode, but... Um... And it's just... <sighs> It's a more somber season. It just has to, to be. Yeah. It's World War One. Um, and just because of their circumstance, it's like Blackadder's an asshole, but he's not wrong. Fucking shitbag like his ancestors. Yeah, no. He gets, I don't want to say progressively less evil, because again, Blackadder Third is possibly the most evil. It's between him and season one, and he actually has a brain, so, like, probably him still. Mm -hmm. This one is just... He just doesn't want to be in the trenches. No one wants to be in the trenches. Because he knows what it means. Yeah. He's not blinded by the patriotism that Georgie is, or (laughs) dumbness of Baldrick. (laughs) This one was fascinating to me, because Americans don't really talk about World War I that much. I think we talked about this way back when in the Wonder Woman episode. Because it happened but like, over there. Yeah. And it we doesn't... We really do shit. <laughs> we, we joined late. We joined in, what, 1917? Like, literally yeah. when this series ends. Um, we were in there for two years. And it was dramatic for the boys. But we didn't have any of those, like, one, we didn't come out of it like, the great big heroes that we did out at the end of World War II. Whether we deserve that or not is a level of deep debate that's far heavier than general nerdery is built to mm-hmm. handle. Um, and we didn't have that traumatic moment of we were bombed or we dropped the atom bomb. like Or, yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the two... We don't still have, like, burrow, like, ruffles through our countryside from where the trenches were dug. Yeah. Or, like, fucking craters from the bombs and shit like that. It was just over there. It was over we there. We joined late. It was a world war. And, but then another one happened a few years later and that's the one we had a lot more to do with. Well, and when it and comes we still joined late, <laughs> when it comes to storytelling, world war two is a lot easier because it's not just, I mean, World War One is not just men in trenches lobbing shells at each other. No, but it's but hard it's to even set mostly up. Mostly men I'm, in trenches lobbing shells at each other. I mean, even trying to set up World War One is you're like, well, dude got assassinated, and it basically just made this whole daisy chain of... Honestly, Blackadder's description in the final episode of what happened is one of the best, most succinct... Mm-hmm descriptions of the start of world war one that I have ever heard. I want to see if I can find it real quick. Uh, I, I, this actually works. I was reading this. Apparently historians and politicians have criticized this show for, uh, insulting the war and acting like it's the, the, the long running kind of view of the world war of lions run by donkeys is the term that I'd never heard before today, but you know, the idiotic nature of kind of the leaders of the war. And I'm sure it's more complicated than that. But at the same time, it really was stupidity. It was throwing men at other men with tanks and bombs and guns and mustard gas and not ready to deal with like the new levels of war. 
uh, America has this, for, but we have it for the Civil War, which was, I don't want to say not as bad because holy fuck, the Civil War was bad, but we didn't have mustard gas mm-hmm. in the Civil War. Yeah, so Edmund, yeah, Edmund brings up, he's like, you see, Valdrick, in order to prevent war in Europe, two super blocks developed. Us, the French and the Russians on one side, and the Germans and Austro-Hungary on the other. The idea was to have two vast opposing armies, each acting as the other's deterrent. That way there could never be a war. But this is a sort of war, ain't it? Yes, that's right. You see, there was a tiny flaw in the plan. What was that, sir? It was bollocks. (laughs) Honestly, the problem is we keep trying this plan. I mean, we're not as open about, like, we'll use this to prevent war by blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's the same shit the Cold War was. Mm -hmm. We're so lucky that didn't yet erupt into a hot war. It's the same, you know, it's NATO versus the Russians. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what happens when a bloke named Archie Duke shoots an ostrich because he's hungry. (laughs) (sighs) I'm... I'm going to miss Baldrick, I think, most out of all of these characters as we go. <laughs> I keep saying go forth without meaning to. I'm not this as clever, we guys. go forth. <laughs> as, we, as we move onward from these shows, I am honestly, like, as excited as I am to get on to other stuff, I'm kind of sad that we're leaving Blackadder. Like, I... Well, I've never seen the Cavalier years, if you ever want to jump into them. What the fuck are the Cav... Oh, it's It was like one a, of the specials. Yeah. We'll do that sometime. Mm-hmm. That'll be great. But like, it's, you know, I've now seen the majority of Black Hatter. There's the Cavalier years. We watched the Christmas Carol. We'll get to that. And then uh, back and forth, which was the one that they did like 15 years later. Mm-hmm. I wonder if any of these guys were in the military. Like, because they actually were pretty good at the, the marching shit at the very beginning. Right. I realize that's something you can just practice, but like. And there might be people who do parade marching being like, they're fucking terrible at this, but see, so I guess that marching and the whole, whole opening sequence, uh, right. I guess is a reference to an older British show. Probably yeah. that, uh, the, one of the writers, Ben Elton is a big fan of. What was that? Like dad's army or something? Yep, Dad's army. I've not seen dad's army, but it is like. Apparently, there's quite a few references to Dad's Army throughout this. That well, it's one of the British sitcoms to end all British sitcoms. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, did you catch the Jeeves and Wooster references that they tossed in a couple oh, of times? I don't think I did. He keep, uh, uh, Hugh Laurie, who plays Wooster in Jeeves and Wooster, keeps mentioning his Uncle Bertie. Bertie is the first name of Bertie Wooster. Uh, his character from Jeeves and Wooster. Mm-hmm. Which takes place maybe a decade before World War One. Okay. It's very much placed in Edwardian England. Gotcha. Okay, that's fun. And Wooster has uh an like infinite number of like weird aunts and family members, even if he's not married himself, so it okay. would be entirely possible. Okay, that's fun. It's not like a big that. one. I just heard it and went, Hey. Um should we just dive into the episode? There's only six of them. Yeah, again. let's we had Captain Cook. Which is the the painting one. This is the most sitcom-y of the episodes, which is weird because it's a sitcom, but like... This is uh, the only episode in all four series where the only cast members on screen are the main cast ensemble. 
Yeah, you're right, aren't you? That's they usually have like every other episode has at least one extra or cameo either a guest or, star or yeah. This is the only one where it's only the main cast. I don't know why having one more cast member. I guess two. I mean, okay, so Black Adder. Uh, the third, when we were looking at that, they listed Mrs. Miggins as a main cast member, but she fucking wasn't. Right. Um, I was, mean, contractually, she might have been, though. Oh, great. Yeah. And I'm not knocking Mrs. Miggins. She did fine in the role she did. But, like, it was really Blackadder, Baldrick, and George. Yes. So I think that's why bumping it up to five felt bigger to me. They, what, there's the the art competition that they think is going to get them sent to France to do a cover for King and country, but it's actually for a special mission to be sent out into no man's land and uh, draw the enemy positions. It does make the big push that they do later almost feel a little weird because they just go over the top and are Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, under the cover of darkness, hiding almost get murdered like eight times still. This is this is almost the Hogan's Heroes episode of Blackadder. Like, because, uh, as I said, when I was reading politicians and historians criticizing this, one, for insulting the, like, heads of the army and yada, 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 but also being like, can we have a sitcom during this serious time and have it? And Americans had already done that. Hogan's Heroes is fucking great, by the way. Yeah. I really love Hogan's Heroes. It is great. Uh, but, you know, like... Here's this deep mission we have to do. And Guess what's like, another sitcom about something super fucked up and kind of a downer? Mash. Yeah. Or Allo Allo, which yeah. is lesser known, but still fucking great. Mm-hmm. Guess who loves Mash? This guy. Ooh, I've watched a lot of Mash. I've not watched all of it, but... You're right. This one is kind of the most just like standard sitcom. Somebody's taking credit for somebody else's work. It gets them all fucked up. Mm-hmm. What is interesting, I think, in this one is that Blackadder actually kind of gives George his due. He, like, acknowledges that he's a good painter. He immediately uses it for his benefit because he's still Blackadder. But, yeah. But George is, like, sitting there. He's like, well, you know, you don't want to sit there and toot your own trumpet. And Blackadder tells him, like, you could have told us you had a trumpet. (laughs) That is a good line. Um, this Blackadder, I think, actually genuinely likes George and Baldrick. Oh, yeah, I would agree. He does not want to admit it. No. Because he's still a Blackadder. But, and he's obviously so mad that he's at this place where he met them. But he has real affection for both of those people. Mm-hmm. And even in the final episode, he has at least sympathy for Darling. Yes. Especially because he knows Darling. He's smart enough, and he's always been the realist. He knows exactly. If anyone's like, fucked, it's Darling. Yeah, and yeah, if anyone's <laughs> fucked, it's Darling, and Darling just showed up. But we and will get to that. Yeah. The, sorry, I. It's okay. That last episode it takes lar- all the air so out of the room. Large. Yeah, it it, it looms so large. And then after this, they just come up with like, oh, we're supposed to. The 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 big push is going to happen. But they disguise themselves as chefs and serve terrible Bulger cooking. Which, wasn't that like the original plan that they didn't go for? Yes, because yeah. that was terrible. And mm-hmm. then because that's the rule. 
you ignore the Baldrick plan that they tell you at the very beginning of the episode. And almost any time there's a Baldrick plan. Again, other than season one where Baldrick actually has a brain. Uh, where Baldrick is... Very smart. Very smart. Very <laughs> competent. Um, and then, when everything else has failed, you go with the Baldrick plan. And it's got about a 50% success rate. It doesn't long-term solve your problem, but it gets you out of whatever stupidity that you are in at the time. <laughs> it gets you on to the next problem. Yep. <laughs> I have a cunning plan. You're guaranteed to have a next problem. Yes, that's really the Baldrick. <laughs> that's the Baldrick way. But it gets you there. Corporal punishment, I think, is number two, which is going to be the, the Flanders pigeon murderer. Okay, I said the last one's the most sitcom, and it is. But this is a weirdly stupid episode for sitcom hijinks. Um, Black is doing everything he can to avoid getting the news to go over the top, kills a carrier pigeon. Before that, he yeah. goes through various, there's communication issues happening. Right, right, so right. he's, he keeps getting like Chinese takeout order calls, which almost like it pulled me out for a second. And then I remembered I'm watching Black Adder and I don't actually need to worry about like real world immersion too much. Mm-hmm. Cat pen Black Adder. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then various, he finds various reasons not to go. And then he shoots the pigeon because well, the pigeon arrives. The pigeon is carrying word to go over the top Well, and word that um, shooting pigeons uh, is a treason now. Yes. Which was a real thing. Right. This was one because soldiers so desperately didn't want to go over the top. And now. I'm sure that you all know this if you listen to General Nerdy, but I just realized we didn't cover this and always assume people don't know things. If you don't know World War One, it was a trench on one side, a trench on the other side, and no man's land in between. And there's barbed wire and holes and mines, mines and guns shooting over the top and mustard gas and they would just send people charging from one to, to try to take out the next trench. And the death rate was appalling. And not just like, oh, we didn't have, you know, modern medicine levels of appalling. Although it was that too. Yeah. But it was just... It was, we don't have a modern tactics appalling. We were just Jesus. throwing men. And literally... The difference of, I mean, the, the, the joke is like, we'll, we'll kill thousands of men to uh, bring the general's drink cabinet six feet. Six inches. Six inches. That's not as much of a joke as you want it to be. Which episode is it where uh, Captain Darling has the one-to-one model of the amount of land they took? I don't remember, but I mean, it's straight up like... And, like 17 square feet, sir. <laughs> and British, especially British aristocracy, get really mad because they get a lot of shit because it tended to be. I don't know if it's still true, but it tended to be the aristocracy got the leadership positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, in America, it's the rich people that just go to West Point usually. But like, uh, so they really don't like it when we're like, you fucking morons. <laughs> but it's what it was. It was just throwing each other back and forth. So when you under when we say they're doing everything they can to not go over the top, 
including shoot the pigeon so we don't have to worry about the orders. We never got our orders. Also, so I can eat a fucking pigeon because those trenches were the most disgusting shit you can think of. This is taking place on the fields of France. It rains there a lot. And you're in a fucking mud pit for four years. Mm -hmm. It was disease and bad food and... Especially if Baldrick's making it. Oh, yes. Um, Don't have the coffee. Oh, God, that is the grossest fucking... The coffee is mud. The sugar is dandruff. The sugar is dandruff, which is the part that made me physically gag when he first said it. And the milk is spit. And when he's like, is making the milk and he's just (sighs) hawking. Oh my God. I'm, I'm getting a little like grossed out just thinking about it. Uh, But anyways, he, he kills the pigeon, eats the pigeon because probably not uncommon. And then he finds out that it was not just, it's illegal to kill this pigeon. It was General Melchit's favorite pigeon. His only Jim. Jim. That's what I kept wanting to say. Jack. Uh, his only friend growing up. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I'm so used to thinking of Stephen Fry as like this super erudite, intelligent fellow like, you know, Jeeves or even his role in fucking um, V for Vendetta. He plays a very intelligent man or, you know, the guy that's been writing all these Greek books that I uh, adaptations of Greek legends that I've been reading with like Troy and heroes and whatever. Watching him play a moron is a little disconcerting. Mm. He's very good at it, though. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just my goats make that noise. (laughs) So it's hard to tell on his. I've never caught it until I was told to look for it. But when Blackout, so Blackadder calls for the lawyer, uh, Massingbird. Mm-hmm. Is that a real lawyer? They they tend to do real. Well, so here's the thing. Um, Massingbird is the name, was the name of an obituary writer for the Daily Telegraph at the time. Massingbird, every time he says it, it's ADR. It's dubbed over. Because the name they used was Robert Brown, who was a prominent commercial barrister in London at the time, and they didn't want to have to deal with possible legal proceedings. From <laughs> <him>. <laughs> oh shit, he's still alive. We've gotten too close. <laughs> but I didn't, I never noticed that until it was like, it was pointed out to me and I knew to look for it. I'll watch next time I watch this, which will probably be relatively recent. This is an extremely good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to watch out for that one. I I laughed pretty hard when they described uh, how good Massingbird is, though. All of the different court cases that he yeah, had the won. The fucking Oscar Wilde being like... <laughs> Convincing a jury that Oscar Wilde was homosexual despite it being an incredibly notorious, notorious womanizer. Which, man. <laughs> Oscar Wilde is possibly the most prominent gay man in history. Maybe less so these days, but like, mm-hmm. you know, just because you no longer go to prison for being gay in large parts of the world, at least. Right. Uh, but Oscar Wilde was an openly gay man in Victorian and Edwardian London. Like, that's not shit that you do. I can't. The other one, what, the other one was something about like 
the dude being found next to the body. <laughs> with I did a bloody... it. I do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I would. And then instead, he got George. Yeah. Oof. Which also, I cracked up so hard when George was fined fifty dollars for wasting the court's time by showing up. Military trials are always kind of one-sided, from what I see. It's it's really hard when your judge is the superior officer. Like that's just honestly, it just shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. What was what got them out of it at the end? I'm fucking blanking on it now. Um, George's uncle, because oh. he gets. Blackadder gets convicted for killing the pigeon, partially because right. he did. Yeah, he, uh, he did do that. He meets the, the firing, firing squad, squad, who are all which, really nice fuck, guys. You have not read Going Postal, which is probably my favorite Discworld book. Right. But it, I I don't know which... Uh, the, Going Postal was written later. I can't confirm this, but I bet you Terry Pratchett watched this and went... Oh, I can okay. use Okay, because the the executioners have a very similar, mm-hmm. like, it's good to see you. You've been such a good, like, oh, man, like, I'm going to make you a bacon sandwich because it's you, like, because I appreciate you. Very good the way that gag was. And then it turns out that George's uncle is, I don't remember who the guy is, but he's a super powerful man in the military. And George was supposed to call oh, him. Right. And, uh... Uh, get him to let Black Adder off. But instead, in celebration of the fact that they realized they had a way to save the captain, George and Baldrick got shit-faced and forgot to call him. But luckily, George's uncle just happened to hear about it and was like, oh, George has mentioned Black Adder before. That's a really stupid reason to kill someone. And sends him the message of like, why didn't you just call me? Like, I let him <laughs> off, but you should have just... Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's a great episode. Yeah, it's a great episode. Every episode is a good episode. Every episode is a good episode. I just, for some reason, I, everything earlier in the episode always stands out to me more than the end. Mm Mm-hmm. I get that. Uh, Major star. It's the return of Bob. One, I like Bob better in this one. And uh, Baldrick's Charlie Chaplin routine. With the slug. You know... I keep watching this episode through the lens of being super aware that Stephen Fry is gay, but that he wasn't out in Mm, the 80s. mm -hmm. And again, I don't think it was a big secret. Right. Especially to, I mean, and I don't just, like, I'm sure everyone who knew him knew he was gay. But, I mean, I don't think it was a big secret in the public eye, because I vaguely remember when he came out. Or at least when I learned that he came out. Because I, th- I don't think he officially came out until the, like, 21st century. Mm-hmm. And being like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, didn't we know this? Did we not know this? <laughs> <laughs> but I keep watching it through that lens. And it's just, we don't see a whole lot of British drag or just drag in, like, comedies anymore. But this sh- could have so terribly handled this. And I can't say they handled it great, especially as a straight white man. Like, I just, there's certain things that I'm like, I think they did fine. And someone who actually has to deal with prejudice is like, oh, honey, no, <laughs> they did not do fine. Mm-hmm. 
But like, there's plenty of Britcom things I've watched with men in dresses where I'm like, oh, that did not stick the landing. And I, I remember this one going decently well. I mean, a lot of it just lies on Milch. It's a fucking moron. And we don't see the date. So that could have changed it up. I'm not explaining this episode at all. I'm saying a thing that might not make any sense to people. Uh, I was just, the fucking, she's got more spunk than your average gal. Jesus Christ, the dirty jokes that they have Stephen Fry. (laughs) Oh my God. Drop in this one. It's so good just for all the innuendos. Especially with the amount of, uh, uh, already the joke of how repeatedly he keeps calling darling, Darling. And the way that they land it, they keep making it sound like the old wife. Um, okay, so I'm not seeing... Oh, here it is. I, I'm sorry, I'm trying to look up uh, when he came out, uh, when Stephen Fry came out. He got married in 2005. 2015. He was Rowan Atkinson's best man, and he openly calls Hugh Laurie his best friend. Oh, that makes me so happy. I love all that. <laughs> Uh, Fry struggled to keep his homosexuality secret during his teenage years at public school and by his own account did not engage in sexual activity for 16 years until the mid-90s. When asked when he first acknowledged his sexuality, Fry quipped, I suppose it all began when I came out of the womb. I looked back up at my mother and thought to myself, that's the last time I'm going up one of those. (laughs) Fry was in a 15 year... (laughs) God damn it. Fry was in a 15-year relationship with Daniel Cohen, which ended in 2010. Fry was listed number two in 2016, blah, blah, blah. Uh, on the 6th of January, 2015, British tabloid The Sun reported that Fry would marry his partner, comedian Elliot Spencer. Fry wrote on Twitter, it looks as though the cat is out of the certain bag. I'm very happy, of course, but had hoped for a private wedding. Fat chance. 11 days after the news story, Fry married Spencer. So it doesn't have a, like, I don't think he ever had an official, I'm gay. But like I said, there was a point up until the mid-90s where he had 16 years where... Oh, that sucks, man. He just... Oh, that's tough. ...was wrestling with his sexuality and oh, wasn't ha- didn't have any sexual contact. I mean, all of the... Like, one, just... Mm-hmm. People should be allowed to love who they love, but just... No sexual contact for 16 years. Post-teenager stuff when it's, like, normal. If you're mm-hmm. a person who wants sex. Obviously, asexual, whatever, have at it. If you want sex and you don't have sex for 16 years, that's the worst. That's a rough time. <laughs> that's a bad time, my guy. We're sorry you went through that, Steven. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So I, I, what I'm remembering is when he got, and some people were like, he's gay. And you're like, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. Um, this one, this one, honestly, other than it's the return of Bob doesn't really stick with me. As it much might as be the weakest ones. one. And all, like all the, like I said, all the double entendres are fucking great. The this. double entendres, some jokes. But we're not going to sit here and repeat all no, of them. No, it's not funny that way. They, they mm. throw a fucking talent show. Dar- mm-hmm. uh, not darling. Uh, Melchit, who is a fucking idiot, forgets or doesn't realize that Georgina is George in a dress and falls in love. And, Desperate because they just killed off Georgina to keep him from marrying, having to marry Melchit. They dress Bob up and Bob is a woman and obvious. And he immediately is like, because Melchit cannot figure out that Bob is a woman. Mm -hmm. It's like, how dare you dress Bob up in a dress? Yeah, it's funny. I like Bob and she was less 
I don't want to say shrieky because she wasn't shrieky in the first one, but everyone's acting was so over the top mm-hmm. in Blackadder the it second. Was a lot or, more uh, naturalistic. Yeah, Blackadder season, whatever fucking season two called itself. I'm mm-hmm. saying fuck a lot. I apologize. I think it was the second. Because it's Blackadder, I guess Blackadder second, Blackadder the third, and then Blackadder goes fourth. Mm-hmm. Next up is what? The pilots. Yeah, next up is uh, Private Plane, which is th- <laughs> Wing Commander the Lord Flashheart. Maybe my favorite episode of this when it comes just to, like, as a comedy episode, as the jokes, mm. bringing in existing, like, I don't know if this episode would have worked as well if I haven't watched all of Black Adder, if you just sat someone down and only watched Goes Forth. Yeah, like this was your first exposure to Flashheart. But I like him so much better than I liked him in uh, the second. I like him overall better in this one, but I don't think he has as memorable of lines as... Woof! <laughs> no, because this has my favorite stupid exchange. Okay. And what it, it's right at the very end where he's like, I'm a man who takes what I want. And then oh, Bob... Yeah. Uh, Bob! Yes, sir. There's something I want. Take me. <laughs> I don't I think I butchered the line too, but just that ex- Bob's absolute obsession with Lord Flash art. I'm super into. This is the one with the 17 square foot of land. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the one to one representation of the land that we've taken. The oh, Baron von Richthofen. Is that the red? That's actual the red, red Baron. Red Baron? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, obviously not getting killed in the same way. Nope. <laughs> So Red Baron, actually, airplanes in World War One is legitimately one of the most fascinating things about the war because they didn't do a lot. Right. The technology was not there, but there is something legitimately romantic about biplanes. They are the most rickety, terrifying shit that <laughs> I can imagine. And they just put... Machine guns on the front. I've never figured out how they don't just take out the propellers. It's um, so the firing rate of the machine gun is tied to the rotation yeah, of the propeller. I understand and, that yeah. in theory. <laughs> I have to imagine something fucking jams for a second and suddenly you're blasting out your propeller. Oh, yeah. I, like, like it had to have happened, have to, especially you, in those rickety fuckers. And then. They're like, oh, well, okay, when they're not just shooting each other, because, man, their war, the dog pilot war, was almost more pointless than the fucking trench warfare. Mm-hmm. They weren't even taking land. They were just going up in the air. I'm like, oh, well, you can drop bombs. But they literally just kept a bunch of bombs, like, next to their seat in their fucking laps. I don't know. And they had to just lean over the side and hand drop the bombs. This isn't fucking B-52 Flying Fortress opens up and a million fucking tiny bombs drops, whatever. You know, this isn't... This is a dude dropping a grenade from a biplane. It's like, yeet. (laughs) It is the most rickety shit that I could possibly imagine. But man, I can see how people get caught up in the romance of this shit. Black Adder is not wrong when making fun of the dogfighters. I probably would be listening to everything Flash said the way George was. Mm-hmm. As stupid as 
Flash is. Oh my god, what's the 20 minuters? Uh, I don't think it's, isn't it? Uh, oh, and it might be 20 minutes, yeah, mm-hmm. because it includes like flying and takeoff, and they think that, oh, well, it's just 20 minutes involved, and then we're both basically done. That sounds so much better, but no, the 20 minute club is the fact that the average lifespan of a new pilot is 20 minutes. And if you survive a couple, then you're doing great. But like, one, you weren't flying that long in the first place, and two, it did not take much to down a biplane. So with the Germans having the Baron von Richthofen, um, I know we... I still don't know why triplane was like... Was that just being edgy? Or, like, I don't know what the the difference is. I know that we eventually, once we entered the war, we had uh, Rickenbacker, who never put up nearly the same numbers as Richtofen. But they were both referred to as being flying aces. There weren't really flying combat before this war, so I have to imagine that this is where they decided that, like... What counts as an... Yeah, it's it's five kills. I know that from Star Wars X-Wing books, (laughs) and I'm not sure how to feel about that. A thing that I love, do you know why the public still knows the Red Baron beyond just pizza? Uh, Fucking Snoopy. Yeah. We would not... uh, I was reading an article about how straight up biplane warfare would not have stuck in the public perception the way that it has if we didn't have Snoopy sitting on the top of his bike, on top of his uh, doghouse, flying his biplane, fighting the Red Baron and getting shot down every single (laughs) time. Um, I was more, I'm more impressed with myself that I remembered Rickenbacker. Yeah, I don't, I don't pretend to know Rickenbacker. Um, This one almost felt more like, maybe it's just because of the introduction of Flash, but like, there was something very second season Blackadder about this one. Mm. Or even third season, like, Blackadder gets kidnapped and annoying mainland European that they're making fun of shows up. In this case, the Red Baron. In the previous season, it, it was, was uh, Rimmer mm-hmm. as um, uh, uh, the, the French Revolutionary. And, and before that, it was... Hugh Laurie! Yeah. As, as a German. As a German. <laughs> they really... God... The British love making fun of the Germans. Before the Germans arrive. The best joke of making fun of any people who aren't Brits in this is punching the German soldiers in the dick in the second season. Eins, zwei. Eins. (laughs) Ooh. Then we go to... So, five is General Hospital, which is probably my favorite beyond goodbye. This is a great episode. Really, I mean, the first three episodes are good. The last three episodes are consistently great. Yes. Queenie comes back in this one. She's great. What's the actress's name? Um, Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson is the queen of terrible voices. She does it the least in this one, which might be why she's my favorite. This is my favorite version Mm -hmm. of her. Uh, They're trying. They receive word. That there's a German spy in one of their field hospitals. And it's and, the field hospital that George is injured in currently. And uh, Black Adder has to go smoke out the spy. And so he bangs a nurse for three weeks straight. One. Fair. This, oh, yeah. Randall Richardson is <laughs> yeah. a beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, fair. <laughs> Good on you, Black Adder. <laughs> this isn't the first time we ever see Black Adder get laid. Because he gets laid in the fucking first episode of season two. Right. It's not often that it 
happens, though. No, and this is, in some way, the ones that's, like, the most into it. Mm-hmm. Bob is so weird about it, and she ditches him the moment she meets Lord Flashheart. Um, <laughs> woof. <laughs> woof. Oh, my God, it's so annoying, but, like, good. At first, she is a very, like, at first, she's a very Miranda Richardson role of, oh, my boys. Oh, I've got this hype. I can't even pretend to do her high-pitched, annoying voice. Like, I just am not built for it. Her worst role is in the fucking Christmas Carol. It's not a bad role, but, like, the most annoying voice she ever does is in the fucking mm-hmm. Christmas Carol. Jesus Christ. We'll get there. And then it turns out, and this is a relatively common thing, she's got her bedside manner, and then she's got her much more down-to-earth Yeah, when she's reality. away from bedsides. Yeah. I just, like, there's... I just love the way this entire episode plays out with... Like, Blackadder is mostly enjoying his time away from the front. Mm-hmm. But he's still kind of trying to get the job done, especially because, like, there's an obvious German dude there. And if he gets the job, I mean, it's two things. One, he's been in the military a long time. Like, he's it, there's just a thing of you do your job. And then two, if he gets his job done, he gets out of the trenches. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing Blackadder wants in life, it's to not be in the fucking trenches. Uh... But, I mean, it really was a thing, because he immediately starts banging the nurse. And it's her whole thing. And because like, oh, maybe we can meet up. And she's like, or we could just do it on the table right now. From what I understand, and I don't know how much of this is romanticism, but of, especially in the two world wars, because those went for years and was a very different kind of war than we have anymore. Mm -hmm. That was kind of just a thing. It might still be a thing. I don't know. But just like, you know. I don't have time for romancing. But do you want to bang? I just want to. Yes. <laughs> I just want to bang. That's what. Um, I have no idea why she's into Blackadder because fuck, he's awful. This might be his most terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the way that he interrogates Darling is funny, but also fucked up. Uh, there's a. Very obvious German man and spy who keeps screaming out German-like phrases. You keep seeing him wandering into places. And it turns out he is a German spy. He's just a spy on the Germans. Mm-hmm. Best stupid joke in this episode is when George asks him, like, have you seen anyone who might be a spy? And he goes, nine. Nine, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I saw it coming immediately. I still laughed. Fucking Hugh Laurie is so good at playing an idiot. I would love to see him play a, a sitcom idiot again. He's really good at playing sassy, intelligent. I th- he seems to be doing it again on, I can't remember the show he's on now, but the sci-fi right. show he's on. But like, it'd be really fun to see him play kind of some of the older type that he used to do. Blackadder testing her by... She didn't recognize that I only named two of the <laughs> two great universities. Oxford's a dump. <laughs> uh, Rowan Atkinson went to Oxford. Well, and Fry and Laurie went to Cambridge. Yep. And also that's a very high class school thing to to do. Mm-hmm. The the rivalry between those schools is weird. I'm just gonna go with weird. It's I know Harvard's got its own rivalry thing too, but I also think that's weird. 
I mean, I live in fucking Missoula. We have a rivalry with Bozeman, but we're both aware that we're mid-tier schools at best, so. And then it turns out that George is the spy on accident. Because he just won't fucking shut up and keeps not censoring things to his German uncle that he's writing letters to. <laughs> Which, I have to imagine, is not how things would roll. Like, even in World War One, they had to be fucking... I mean, I know by World mm-hmm. War II, at least, they were very good at, like, every piece of mail you sent gets uh, looked at looked at, and redacted and yada, yada, yada. But it's a good gag. Mm-hmm. It does, it is the classic Black Adder move that I always love, but I'm always like, oh, you fucking doink. <laughs> Someone actually likes Black Adder. Something actually good is going to happen to Black Adder. But because he's too smart for his own fucking good, which makes him an idiot, bad things happen. He could have gotten married to the cute nurse. But he was too busy thinking he was smarter than anyone else. Now, she was obviously set up as I, I because I remember I vaguely remembered this episode and it was very obvious that it wasn't actually going to be the German guy. Right. Part of me was like, is it the double bluff? Is it actually the German guy? And then it's not, George. obviously. But yeah, I, I had forgot that George was actually the spy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe it is her. Like, obviously it's being set up. Like, it's being set up too well for it to actually be her in a Black Adder episode. But come on, man. Like, just fucking anywhere George is, assume he's doing something that's making things worse. Mm-hmm. Last episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> It starts off like any other episode. Here's a goofy thing. Let's do it. It's time to... We're going to go over the edge tomorrow. Or we're going to go over the... Whatever, tomorrow. Over the top. Jesus Christ. We're going to go over the top tomorrow. It's time to pretend I'm insane. Well, they were were about to get... They were already basically ordered over the top in a different episode. So why would this one be any different? And then the whole point of this is we're supposed to go over the top and we keep dodging out this time. I'm going to do it by being insane and it it automatic, you know, set up for it of that. If, if you don't go into this knowing it's bad, not bad. It's fucking amazing. It's Mm -hmm. one of the best episodes of television I've watched in a long time. It looks like it's just doing a catch 22. I'm pretending to be insane so I can get out of the army. Doesn't work. <laughs> Long story short, they get sent over the top. Watching him say Wibble is funny. Wibble. Wibble. Especially because I know he has such trouble with bees. Yeah. <laughs> because it's fucking... Wibble. Wibble. I... Oh, my God. For some reason, every time I watch this episode, when... Uh, George is listing off what happened to all of his friends that have bought it in the war. And he's going by all their nicknames from their tiddlywinks club. For some reason, I always lose it at the fact that one of his buddies was just named strangely Brown, which is probably <laughs> racist, but, <laughs> but also, uh, it is you now what's brilliant about that bit. Cause he's so, uh, so-and-so bobbed it and blah, blah, blah. And uh, strangely Brown went over the edge. And like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? I have no idea, but they all died. One, it's just good George is an idiot. But two, 
That slang is a lot closer to Edwardian English, pre-World War I England aristocracy than we want to give it credit for. Mm -hmm. The, like, rich and useless were such a thing in Edwardian England. And they had their own language in ways that are almost indecipherable today. I already brought up the the bloke named Archie Duke shot an ostrich because he was hungry. Which is trying to explain the Archduke Ferdinand. Man, I don't know. It's it's weird because it's funny. It's funny all the way through. There's jokes up until the end. But at a certain point, they, all the characters kind of accept what's about to happen. And that's fucked up. <laughs> it's poignant. We talked about this because both of us have talked about this before. Of this episode making us cry. This episode made me cry harder when I was a little kid than most things I can remember. And I was a crier. Mm -hmm. I'm still a crier. I'm getting a little misty eyed (laughs) talking about it now because Jesus Christ. Uh, What amazes me is I was such a like, no, they didn't die. They did not show me a body. They didn't die. They did. And I'm amazed. They did such a good job that even me know people don't die in sad ways young eight-year-old dipshit was like, oh, they dad. I think the the part that it it always starts to sink into me, it sink in for me, is when George admits he's scared. And he's been doing all this rambling all episode, and it all leads to that. For me, it's a step earlier, but that's where it hits. That's where you go, fuck, this is not funny anymore. This is... What it is. Mm-hmm. For me, it's earlier when Darling gets sent that you go, fuck. <laughs> like, this is okay. This is serious. This well, is... everything about the way that Darling scene is framed, too, is very final. Mm-hmm. It's like he's walking into the afterlife. And he's, you know, when Darling goes from, because Darling is such a snake. Through this entire series. And honestly, Tim McInerney was very good at playing an idiot. But he's so good at playing a snake. Mm-hmm. Such a, like, man, I can't think of anyone else who could have played the role of Darling as well as he did. And the moment, because at first, you know, General Melch is like, I think of you like a son. Not a son that I want or like very much, but like a son. And, then <laughs> and it's kind of a reverse... Going. It's kind of like a reverse uh, radar and um, I guess Colonel Potter, but even more uh, major from from MASH. Uh, oh, I can't think of the, the major's name who was not a major uh, Colonel Blake. There you go. The the original leader of MASH before he left at the end of season three or original leader of 4077. Where, because I mean, in both cases, there was a kind of like, oh, my attache is like weirdly close to me. Although with Blake and Radar, it's very much an actual like, he's my son, damn it. This one, they rotated back and forth between like old married couple and here's my useless child. But the shift as he's going increasingly trying to be like, I don't want to die. Do not send me. Over and they're just being like, you don't want to go th- oh, fucking <laughs> Melchit is at his most. There are a few people in Blackadder that I have hated more than Melchit in that scene. Right. 
Yeah. Damn, Stephen Fry. Or, and he's wearing that stupid sleep mustache net the whole time. Did oh. Stephen Fry grow that? Mu- I don't think it's a real mustache. It doesn't look very real, but like. I have no idea. If anyone would, it would be Stephen Fry. Oh, fuck. It stands out to me so much when it just makes sense earlier in the episode that the rational explanation for uh, Black Adder acting off is he's just excited to go over. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Well, because we're the Brits. Show ho, show. We, we were laughing because they said the words by Jingo. And man, yeah, Field Marshal Haig. The phrase by Jingo sure has changed since we read Jingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, you know, to borrow from that, we'll show Johnny Clatchy and what's what is just such a British. Like it, it's how I mean, Americans do it, too. But like it was we got it from them. Mm-hmm. It was such a British way of like thinking how World War One was going to go. And then how thinking World War Two was going to go for a minute there, although. They were a little less by Jingo by that point. Cause they're like, oh God. Oh God, we're doing another one of these. It's garnered controversy from whatever for telling it basically how it was. Um, but, and there's this. And I'm sure it does massively simplify. I'm sure there are yeah. historians who were like, no, it's way more complicated. But, but there's, there's the parts where George is asking Blackadder. He's like, dude, you're a professional soldier. Like this has been your career you don't seem like you enjoy it. And Blackhead is like, yeah, because what we were doing wasn't war. It was fucking invading tribes yeah, that had no chance of Massive imperialism. Back. Like, we talk about, there's that fucking movie about the, the uh, against the Zulus. Mm, yeah, yeah. One, oh, I love Zulu. It's a great movie. Oh, it is. Yeah. But also, when you watch it from a much better eye, you're like, those British soldiers who are hiding in a circle and trying to survive are not the good guys no. in this movie. They're portrayed as the good guys, but... <laughs> Here's, even before I realized that they weren't the good guys, I always thought Shaka was the coolest part of that Well, movie, yeah, he's so. Shaka Zulu. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, man, I haven't watched that movie in a long... I don't think I've also, seen that since high school. Young Michael Caine, right? I think so, yes. Young Michael Caine unnerves me. <laughs> not in that movie specifically, but when I think of Michael Caine, I think of Muppet Christmas Carol... Mm-hmm. Or Alfred, I he's like Morgan Freeman. I just am not sure what to do when he's under sixty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but just that those bits where it's weird because it's it's kind of Blackadder admitting to the giant asshole that he is with no guilt about it. Mm-hmm. But it's also very well, much in, just in like fairness. Brits wouldn't have felt that back at the time. Exactly, and I think that's part of the point of the scene is he's like, this is what we were doing. This is why we think we're so great. And now we're going up against people who are on our level and we don't know what to fucking do with it. Except die. (laughs) Oh God. Oh, so did you read anything about, uh, that final scene? Basically like it, it wasn't supposed to go that way. It was really hard to film it because they only had, they go over the top and they charge. And they die, but they only had 15 feet to run. Not only did they only not have 15 feet to run. That's like the size of your living room. It was supposed to be, they go over the top, they get bombed, they fall over, and they look dead. Mm -hmm. There's, like, actual, like, 
flip explosions yeah. going on next to them. They didn't like it. Rowan Atkinson refused to do another take with the explosions. Oh, really? So they, so they did one take with the explosions, and apparently them laying there looking dead didn't look very realistic, looked pretty fucking dumb. So they did... It's kind of like at the end of season two where they just showing them all dead. And you're like, all right, whatever. So then apparently they did another take, maybe a couple takes of them going over the top and getting machine gunned and falling down. So they didn't have to deal with the explosions. And those also looked dumb because it looked like a bunch of guys <laughs> and just falling over. <laughs> it's just great fun to do, but <laughs> and I think, I think at least one of those versions was them like going to like a, a freeze of like a pained expression on their face as they're getting shot. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he like the, ex- just because explosions are scary? Or? Apparently it, it was just like those explosions were going off like a foot and a half from. Nope. Don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do not blame Rowan Atkinson on that one. So they had like four takes of a bunch of things that looked kind of shitty in the editing room. And the editor was like, how do we make this work? We need to stretch like, 15 seconds. That's all we need is like 15 seconds of footage to end this out. And they're like, well, if we slow it down, then them going over the top takes like 10 seconds. And then we just fade it out before it starts looking shitty. They, I mean, it really is like five seconds, five seconds, five seconds. It's them going over the top and then it fades out to just a few poppies. No, before that, it goes to nothing. And just the same scene, just the camera. Mm-hmm. but without them there. And then it changes to a field of poppies. And one, as an adult, I wouldn't have gotten the field of poppies thing as a kid. Poppies is such a th- a thing for World War I remembrance. For, you know, th- this is for the dead of World War I. Um, there is no way to have that, like, did they die? And again, I argued that Spike Spiegel lived through the end of Cowboy Bebop. You watch him drop to the floor. <laughs> I believed everyone lived happily ever after in everything. And I was like, they dead. Ooh, they dead. Ooh, they dead. Every actor. Every actor, it's the best scene that they did. That final bit. It's Other than Stephen Fry. But he didn't have to. He was just doing his thing. I would have liked maybe five to ten seconds of like black after the field of poppies or longer field of poppies. Mm. I recognize they were working with the time they had on the, you know... TV, not on streaming, but as you and I both discussed, Hulu immediately translates it to Mr. Bean once you finish. And it gives you about four seconds in between. Mm-hmm. And it is jarring. jarring as all weird because it's like shift over. And I just looked up to see it was Mr. Bean. And I went, huh? Like it makes sense, but huh? And Cece never seen Mr. Bean before. And then suddenly just crap. Oh my God. Mr. Bean drops on it. Like this means funny. Yeah. I was a little annoyed with it just because I found it so jarring. Cece laughed quite a bit at Mr. Bean. Look, given that it is um, considered to be one of the greatest sitcom episodes, not just finales of all time. Definitely, uh, I think I'd put it on my top five finales, if nothing else. I think of just shows. Yeah. Not just sitcoms, but just finales. I know she she's not here to tell us herself, but how, what did Cece think? Um, She didn't comment on it as heavily as other things that we've watched. She definitely enjoyed watching it. Her favorite bits were anytime Fry and Laurie were in the same scene. Mm. She adores those suits because they're great. They're the best yeah. together. 
I mean, she's a huge Jeeves and Wooster fan with me, so watching this was wonderful. Um, I mean, you when we were watching the first season, I definitely had these like, I promise it gets better. I'm sorry I'm making you watch this. <laughs> She laughed, especially in this last season, I heard her, because a lot of times she would go, she'd, she'd be making dinner on the days that I was watching this. We'd split it mm-hmm. about half and half. Anytime I talk about my wife in the kitchen making dinner while I'm watching something, part of me's like, promise that you're not just that guy. Promise <laughs> that you share some of the chores. But the way that our, our house is set up, even if you can't always see the TV, you can hear what's going on. There's not right. like any doors in between. It's all kind of one room. Mm-hmm. I get or that. at least close enough to one room. You, you yes, know what my apartment looks like. Not as much like. as yours is where your kitchen is a reading nook that they stuck a fridge in. But um, <laughs> in the corner of the living room. Yeah, exactly. I've lived in plenty of apartments like that. But, uh, you know, it's all close enough that you can just talk to each other and stuff. And I would definitely hear her laughing in the kitchen from lines going. Usually Hugh Laurie lines or Stephen Fryer lines, but... All right, let's make this happy. Christmas Carol. Not as good as any of it, but still very good. Christmas Carol might legitimately be some of my favorite Black Adder. Really? It has some... Across the board, it has some of my favorite bits. Um, I... I've quoted it uh, like two episodes ago, but the uh, Baldrick, you wouldn't recognize a cunning plan if it painted itself purple and dancing naked on a harpsichord shouting cunning plans are here again. (laughs) Um, I love the fucking everything with third and George. It surprised me how happy it made me to see. Well, how happy it made me to see old Black Adders. Mm. We never see the first one, do we? No, no. They show him, the reason I get confused is they show him on the like Hulu next episode. Right. They show Black Adder the first. But he's not in it. But he's not in it. They just don't want to talk about the first one. They go two, three, and then future. Mm-hmm. To go along with, of course, uh, Ebenezer Black Adder. Because this is, it. it's reverse... Christmas Carol. He's he's the nicest man in London town. The the most generous man in England. Again, they find ways to make fun of the Germans with Prince Albert. Which is Uh, really good. Was that the, uh, the Infanta or the, was Queen Vic. I suppose I could look this up because I have all of it like right next to me. The Spanish princess. She might be because his obnoxious goddaughter is uh, Queenie. No, the obnoxious goddaughter is um, Perry from Doctor Who. Holy shit! I had that one a hundred percent wrong. Good God, she's good at that high pitched voice. <laughs> oh, oh God! Well, that's not what I was expecting to realize. Uh, Queen Vic, that can't be fucking right, is it? Queen Vic was um, the matchmaker in Mulan, which is the one that was kind of blowing my mind. Uh, Professor Sprout and Harry Potter. That makes fucking three Harry Potter alums in this episode. Right, because Robbie Coltrane is huge front and center. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, Harry Potter problematic, but but these actors were in this movie. We can't get around it. Uh, uh, Prince Albert is Slughorn. Oh. This is the other potions master. 
Just way younger. Damn, damn, damn. I'm so stupid. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, she was uh, the Infanta Maria Escaloso of Spain. They love bringing people back. I was, as I said, I was surprised how much I missed older Black Adders, even though I had just watched them. We talked about it. Holy shit. The Black Adder the Second's look and costume is far and away the hottest that uh, Rowan Atkinson has ever been in his life. He needs to rock the facial hair a all lot the more time. To, and not the like super tight, almost Mr. Bean cut that he feels the need to wear all the time. Like let him have his hair out a little bit. Looks so good. And that doublet's pretty fire, right? With the fucking, uh, uh, adder wrapped around the dagger kind of thing on the side. Like I, I like that a uh, future warlord black adder has that like front and center on mm-hmm. his chest plate. With Black Adder second, I was taking notes for my foam Wappy Bats bullshit. That's how good it is. I would not mind wearing that shirt. Three's overcoat's also really good. It is very nice. Regency England looks so uncomfortable to wear, though. Like, yeah. I've got to wear hose with Black Adder second, but man, like, the amount of layers and shit. I'm not a, a lot of layers guy, unless it's, like, a shirt, a hoodie, a vest. But, like... Oh, this button-up thing, and then this vest, and then this button-up thing, and then uh, these shoes that are weirdly high, and... Uh, what? Yeah, this episode... See, ever since the first time I've seen it, I've referred to man-thongs as posing pouches. <laughs> <laughs> like, the triple husbandoid. Just that. And saying one of them that is, is fucking hol- nursey. Just saying that is hilarious for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Who were the three? It was Nursey and it was Melchit. And who was the, was it George? Hume? George. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And she's just straight up playing Queen Elizabeth again, but as <laughs> herself. As space queen. Yeah. Uh, but we get flashbacks of previous black adders as instead of like, here's your past. Let me like scare you into being a good person. It's man, your ancestors are assholes. Let's show you. And we get a pretty basic black adder. The second story he Spends mm-hmm. all his money on making on buying a present for the queen, and then, then the she queen doesn't, doesn't want, want presents. presents. Then she wants presents, and he like goes destroy it. And I want to be like Black Adder. This is why you're never getting ahead. Don't destroy the present. You know she's gonna change her mind in four seconds. Happens, but then Mel- and then Melchit almost Melchit dies. Up, I know. I was about to say he sets Melchit up to get executed, and. The epi- like that segment ends like that's what happened, even though we know that that's not what happened. But again, Queen, El- especially that version of Queen Elizabeth was so all Ooh. over the map. I still can't stop mixing her with the version of Queen Elizabeth from Doctor Who that marries the Doctor. So funny, <laughs> like just what she's doing in between. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, oh my god! Like having the Doctor run into a blackadder. Oh my god, that would be fun. And then, I mean, we kind of got that. Is Rowan Atkinson's doctor in uh, Curse of Fatal That's Death funny. is very Black Adder ish. That's fucking funny. Oh, I love Curse of Fatal Death. It's so funny. We got then, some of three. And the third was, I, what was the fucking gag on that one? They were. So they were going to. They told Prince George the charitable Christmas story that puffed him up a bunch. Mm-hmm. And the idea was after that, he would be primed to be charitable to the next old woman. And they would disguise Baldrick as an old woman to come in and get all the stuff. 
But then a real old woman who was looking for charity was led in by Baldrick, and she's the one that got all the stuff. And it ends with Black Adder straight up being like, I'm going to go murder her and take the shit. <laughs> right? Like, it, again, he's very murderous. Um, here's what I've never got about the third Black Adder. The whole thing was a bit Salah. As much as we've talked about him, he's the most evil and he's the most intelligent. Yet somehow he never figures out that Baldrick cannot be relied on to, to follow the plan, to fruition. Mm-hmm. His fatal flaw every single time is he cannot find a better goon than Baldrick. You need to find a good goon and you need to take care of your goon. And he does neither of those things. And then we get that future one. We find out that if he stays being a good person, no, we find out if he becomes a bastard, eventually his great, 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 great grandson, whatever, will become a a evil space general. And God, were they just the ruler of the universe? Were they just straight up stealing from eighties doctor who sets? Like, were those just in the, cause man, it looked like an episode of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. More than any other sci-fi, that's what it felt like it was riffing on. Which, it's 80s... I mean, this came out in, I want to say, 88. So, Nira is born. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Who was canceled the year before? Like, it was in the public consciousness. Um, And then the, the opposite side of that is, if he stays good, because he's currently the most generous man in England, he ends up becoming the Baldrick... And to Baldrick. Who ends up being the ruler of the known universe, but also a moron. But also, like, isn't the universe about to explode or something? I because, think so, yeah. yeah. So he decides to become a douchebag, and then it turns out... That screws it, him from getting a... Immense fortune and barony, because he's... <laughs> Queen Victoria and Prince Albert have been wandering around, finding the kindest man in Britain, so they or in London, so they can give him an enormous fortune and a barony. And another secret present that I was going to give him right after I show him this pre- Damn. Damn, damn. I am fascinated by Victorian London, so there is interest in that. But honestly, the least interesting part of Victorian London to me is the Queen and Prince Albert. Mm-hmm. She was kind of a lunatic, and he was interesting, but he died pretty fast, and whatever, aristocracy. I, yeah, I don't know. I love it. It's one of my favorite Christmas specials. It's, I watch it every year. I watch it multiple times a year. Very good. Don't get me wrong. It's just hard when we just talked about one of the best sitcom episodes ever made. And again, I am curious if we showed someone goodbye without showing them all of the Black Adder going before it how well it hold up. And that's kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. One of the other best finales of all time is 30 rock in my opinion. And I'm, I know I'm not alone in that, but it doesn't like if I showed that episode to someone who'd never seen 30 rock, they'd be like, I don't, what is right? Like, what is this? This is lunacy. But like, I actually think that goodbye would still hold up pretty strong on its own. It tells a story. Mm-hmm. Very well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Hogan's you, Heroes would have been a very different show if in the final episode they have to fucking take on one of the concentration camps and get killed. Like, mm-hmm. oof. that's brave to do what they fucking... Um, 
We figure it out next time, right? Yes. Because we're getting a bit long on the Black Hatter. Yeah, no, we're... I'm. It, if there was an episode that was going to be the one we got the longest into, it's the one where we had to do 15 fucking trailers. Episode 100. Episode 100. All right. For 101, we are going to honor the Batman, the King, Kevin Conroy. We debated doing that this episode, but the, our release schedule versus when things happen is so wildly different that it's like a month and a half different anyways. Uh, uh, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. We wouldn't have been current anyway. We want to do something for Kevin Conroy because we fucking love Kevin Conroy, and this is generally accepted as his best thing. So we will be watching Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, fucking great. Anyways, thanks for 100 episodes. Hopefully we'll get a bunch more. I uh, love doing this. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is around on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.